1: The Hagman and Hagman Report for tonight. Tonight, the vile, the visceral hatred of the progressive left. What is it doing to our country? What is, what is taking place? And, and where exactly are we going to end up? We're going to be exploring that in detail tonight. Two guests, incredible guests, coming on our program for the first time. Stephanie McWilliams of the Halsey news network, halseynews.com. She's the editor at large of the halsey news network and content manager, manager there. Um, halseynews.com rev, uh, reviving investigative journalism with the truth. That's, uh, so necessary for today. And then, of course, we're going to have following Stephanie McWilliams, another Stephanie, um, Stephanie Hamill. Stephanie Hamill is with One America News Network. You've heard of them. O-A-N-N dot com. I know you have growing, uh, a very growing large news network, One America News Network, Stephanie Hamill. To talk about the, exactly the landscape, the geopolitical landscape of what is taking place today. And of course at nine o'clock at the uh, third hour, Standeo from standale.com will be coming in to talk about some of the other issues of the day but again the visceral vile hatred by the progressive left it's it what it is what it is doing to this country what it is doing to civilization uh what uh, the lack of civility but before we get into that before we get into the guests uh i, I do want to make mention of this It appears that we struck some sort of a uh, chord yesterday. Brandon House appeared on our program. Brandon House, Worldview Weekend, um, our Weekend Worldview. Um, And he's got a very popular platform. And he called out James R. White, this evangelical minister who gave a platform to a, uh, guy by the name of, uh, Yasser Khadi. And, of course, Khadi was, uh, White extolled the virtues of this Khadi. In fact, even called him his mentor at one point. Now, I received a, the Hagman Report received a rather interesting Facebook posting by this minister White and a Twitter, uh, message by this minister white who believes that well who classified us as christian yellow journalism all right now you to start talking uh you know you, uh, you look look again this is the absolute delusion of the christian segment that believes that christians and muslims can exist coexist together in exchange, interfa- have an interfaith dialogue. Now, I'm not a minister. I don't claim to be. I don't, I'm not, I don't have a ministry. I don't claim to have one. I'm an investigator. I'm an investigator in, in front of the camera. Now, I, I do know, I, and I can see what's taking place with, with certain, with a certain segment of Christians. And especially some Christian leaders who want to just play nice regardless of the cost to their congregation. The 501c3, it's important. We need, we need the money. We need the popularity. We can't really, we look, we have to, we must, we must get along. We must at all costs. In my view, anyway, regardless of the truth. So, um, Brandon House came on uh, to our program yesterday. We have the episode segmented. It is up on Hagman Report on our YouTube feed. You can go right to it, and you can see uh, a very small clip that's uh, played uh, of this Minister James R. White from Phoenix, and um, this uh Yesir, uh cadi talking having this interfaith dialogue he, he's quick to say it wasn't a debate and, and of course they exchanged pleasantries now let me let me set the stage very quickly by saying this chris kabats the council or chris Gabatz from um uh, the, the son of Dave kabats and also the uh david wrote muslim mafia uh chris kabats was quoted uh he quoted care uh Here's a quote from Chris Gabatz. According to Gebatz, CARE uses uh, interfaith dialogue to propagate their narrative, and CARE and other Muslim Brotherhood groups purposely get closer to the law enforcement after uh, terror attacks by offering sensitivity training and volunteering to serve as a liaison between police and Muslim communities. But here's the other thing. Their whole purpose with this narrative war is to shut discussion down, because if you can shut down the discussion, and distance is Islam from any part of the problem, then the people that are charged with protecting citizens are always looking elsewhere for the problem. And the problem is, and always been, uh, and always has been rooted right in Islam and right in Sharia. They're intertwined. Now that's the end of the quote. Basically what I'm saying is this. You cannot have a dialogue with someone who practices taqiyya, and that is the is- Islamic uh, tenet of, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, well, uh, lie, lying, essentially, lying for a cause, lying for a purpose, deception, deception. The uh Brennan House, if you go to his website, which is linked off of uh, that video from yesterday, he uh, does quote uh, the full speech by Yasser Khadi, or does quote a full speech by Yasser Khadi, preaching about the uh, filthiness of Jews and Christians, and then unless they submit to Islam, their property can be stolen. Folks, this is the man that he had on the stage in a video. This is this is this Christian minister who is saying, this is my manner in Islam. You cannot coexist. Christians cannot coexist with with Muslims in any sense, specifically in Sharia and in in interfaith dialogue. It just cannot happen. Ask uh, very simply, ask IQL Razuli, ask Randall Terry. We have example after example after example, as well as Brandon House. Example after example on our website, on Hagman Report, on our YouTube feed. This is to say to Mr. James R. White, you have an invitation right now to come on our program. You can, you can arrange it through our program director. You can come on our program. You don't, you do not debate. Brandon House. You don't debate me. You don't debate Joe. You debate or you talk with a Muslim scholar. You claim to be knowledgeable in this. You want to debate? That's who you can debate, Mr. James R. White. Alright? The, the Look. It's up to you. The ball's in your court. You contact our program director, you contact us via the studio, we'll put you on, and I guarantee you, okay, I just guarantee you, it will be a time that you will remember. And, uh, of course, you know, he has his Facebook fixed where you can't comment, so. But nonetheless, uh, so there is that Christian yellow journalism of which we are accused. Apparently the truth has no place in that venue, in his venue. I did want to set the record straight with that opening up. And again, tonight, the vile, vicious hatred that is being propagated by the progressive left again. At the bottom of the hour Stephanie McWilliams, the editor at large, the content manager for HalseyNews.com, where they are reviving investigative journalism with the truth. And then following her, Stephanie Hamill from One American News Network, talking about an array of things all across the uh, current uh, political and geopolitical landscape followed by Stan Dale with that I'm going to turn it over to Joe
2: great intro and um, yeah it's a it's unfortunate with what Brandon was talking about yesterday and and how that unfolded um, but yeah come on come on the show and, and uh, enter the debate might as well got nothing to lose um, what we got about a minute not even a minute we got uh, we're bringing on John and alan riggs from green innovative they got a great fourth of july contest that they're going to announce the details to and then after that's over starting in the next segment we're going to jump into some hard news with some new guests and then we have stan closing us out it's going to be a great show don't forget folks keep your eyes on the georgia election Uh, the political world is making a big deal of this as they should it's the most expensive house race in history and we should have the results by tonight they uh in the world of politics, apparently this House race seems to have some sort of massive importance to the Democrats who, uh, as we talked with Alicia yesterday, she said that the the left is, is making the case that if they can win this election that they will take over the House in the midterms in 2018, but you know, obviously that's a long way away. And we don't know. There's been two special elections held since Trump was inaugurated, and it both times went to the Republican. So we will keep our eyes on that and report the details as they are incoming. Eric, did you just give it a thumbs up? Okay. John and Alan Riggs, uh, do we have John with us?
3: Hello, Joe. Uh, I am here. Hey, John. Joe, how are you this evening? Thank you for uh, giving us a moment to, uh, well, to have some fun here. How is my audio, Joe? Uh, Your audio is okay. It'll do. Okay, Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're if, if, you were
1: calling from, if you were calling from Jupiter, it's fine.
3: <laughs> we're having some weather up here on the Olympic Peninsula today, folks, and it really kind of segues nicely into what Alan and I want to do for just a couple of moments here tonight. Uh, what we're doing, folks, we want to engage all of the Hagman viewers and listeners, and so we created a contest, and this is going to be a lot of fun. I know Doug and and Joe and and all the folks back at the studio are excited about this as well. This is the Green Innovative Energy Independence Day contest, and we're going to bring Alan on in just a moment, but first I'm going to lay out, (coughs) excuse me, I'm going to lay out the particulars of the contest. Uh, we want to make this Independence Day, July 4th, 2017, uh, an opportunity for many of the Hagman listeners to create in their preps, in their bug out bags, in their emergency kits, uh, a true start toward energy independence, and certainly we're looking at uh, all kinds of potential trouble here on the horizon, so it's a good idea to be able to recharge batteries folks at bare minimum, have a couple of flashlights up and running and I'll tell you with the Gmag power cell, which is uh, green innovative and Alan Riggs uh, feature product uh, you receive along with the actual Gmag itself the portable charger unit which right off the bat gives you folks the opportunity and the capability of not only having a three LED flashlight I was surprised at actually how bright this little unit is but it also has a USB port so that you can charge your electronic devices and that's a standard USB and it comes with multiple adapters that will fit uh, your iPhone your Droid etc. But back to the contest uh, it's really simple folks what we would encourage all of you to do we've got four prizes set up we've got a gold Two silvers and a bronze. These are different size prizes, all of which include the Gmag Power Cell. So we are essentially on July 4th giving away four complete Gmag Power Cell uh, starter kits. And then Alan will tell you more about the prizes. But there's some goodies thrown in with the gold and the silver levels. The contest is simple, folks. All you do between right now and the wrap of our show on Monday, July 3rd is submit to the Hagman Studio via email 500 to 1,500 words. We want, we want to get you folks writing here on a time where you needed power and you didn't have any. And, and it can be whatever story. Now, make these stories true, okay? I'll tell you, Doug and Joe have a pretty good nose for fiction, and so do I. But send us a story. It can be something really severe, like a fire or a flood or some kind of natural disaster. Or you can make it funnier. It can be a time where you, you got uh, locked out of the house or you uh, m- maybe got lost walking the dog or, or may- maybe you got locked out of your house. But uh, just send us uh, uh, some of your creativity on a time where you really could have used the capability to charge your phone or or be able to see in the dark, where you needed some go-to power and you didn't have any. Again, folks, it's the Green Innovative Energy Independence Day Contest. The contest is open as of now. It's 500 to 1,500 words. And I would suggest keeping it on the shorter side, folks. Give us four, five, six paragraphs tops. Um, make sure that you fictionalize the names that you do not want uh, revealed, uh, because I'll tell you what, when we get that gold prize, the grand prize winner, we're going to talk a little bit on July 4th about your story, and if you give us permission gold prize winner will also have their story published at hagmanreport.com and i will publish that personally do a beautiful art direction layout so folks this is an opportunity to get a to get a free gmag power cell interact with the hagmans tell us your funny story your scary story what have you but it's also an opportunity to see your name up at hagmanreport.com again the greenovative energy independence day contest Uh, and, uh, it runs from right now through the close of the show, which is 10 o'clock Eastern on Monday, July 3rd. We've got four great prize packages, and joining us now to tell us about those packages is the founder of Green Innovative and the inventor of the GMAG Power Cell, uh, and a dear friend of the show, Alan Riggs. Alan, how are you?
4: I'm doing great. Thank you.
3: Excellent. Welcome to to the show.
4: Thank you. It's good to be here. And I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that we're doing this uh Fourth of July special. You can see I got my Fourth of July shirt on and I'm ready to go. And I want to talk about the uh the units that we're going to give away. And the majority of them were inspired by Eggman view viewers. We started out small and people said, Give us more batteries, give us more adapters, give us more power. So we did. And many of you have seen this. This this one is our gmag complete unit this as well as our barter pack this is our new one the uh the complete unit and the barter pack go to the gold prize winner the complete unit uh goes to each of the silver prize winner and the barter pack goes to the uh the bronze winner and all of these things were inspired by by the Hagman and Hagman audience, and i'm uh, I'm really proud to have been able to put them together and be accepted by the good folks in the audience who have uh, who keep coming to my website and saying, wow that's great stuff so I'm looking forward to uh getting a peek at your at your stories as well and i've I've had some I've had some calls from people who uh used our unit when they were out in the middle of nowhere and they had to use it and uh they were all very interesting so I'm looking forward to uh Making this journey with you, and uh, and I hope you uh, sit down and put pen to paper, and really get involved. So thanks again for having me.
3: Well, Alan, thank you so much for uh, offering the the prize packages. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes here. Uh, why don't you tell folks give give for for those who may have writer's block out of the gate, uh, give folks a little a little idea of some of the stories you've heard. We've got a couple minutes, Alan.
4: One of my first ones was um, I was at a prepper show, and a guy stopped my by my booth and said, "Wow, does this really work?" I said, "Yeah, it does." So he bought it, and it was a the uh, the works package was when, when, one of our first ones. So I got an email from him. Uh, this, this was a weekend show, and I got an email from him on Tuesday that said, "Hey, I had to go on a trip to California, and he was living in West Virginia. And right after I left, my the power went out at my house." So I tried to call call home, and my wife's cell phone was dead. So I told her to go get your unit from wherever he had it stowed, and charge up the cell, the AA batteries, and charge up the cell phone. And he said, thanks to that, they were in communications all weekend when it was an unexpected power outage. And uh, he's come back and bought another couple, three units from me.
3: And and there you go, folks. That's just a great little example. Uh you know I've got one of these little G-Mag power cells sitting in front of me and if it it's I love the way it's packaged it comes in a very tight kind of ergonomic uh neatly packed kit it's very organized it's very intuitive folks you can essentially open this up and it's got a nice little instruction card with it but uh it's pretty simple to understand it's a two or three step procedure there's nothing uh, unduly scientific or technical about it. You know, it's, it's basically like Mr. Riggs says, you, you add water and a little bit of salt and you've got power. And, and, uh, I just want to encourage all of the listeners and viewers, go to HagmanReport.com. Remember, two ends on Hagman, HagmanReport.com. And look at the show notes for tonight. The title of tonight's show is The Right Moving Left, uh, with our special guests coming up, Stephanie McWilliams, Stephanie Hamill, and, uh, and then of course Tuesdays with Stan. It's real simple, folks. Go to hagmanreport.com. All of the uh, contest rules and the specifications and all that are right there in the write-up. There's links to Greenovative. There are links to Alan Riggs. Alan, before we wrap it up this evening, would you like to give folks the phone number where they can reach you directly?
4: Sure. It's uh, area code 321-638-4885. And while I'm here, I'd like to say that I've never done this before. But the Hegman audience has two special deals going right now. They can get 15% off of my their entire purchase by putting in the word Hegman, or they can get a free. Instead of the 15% off, they can get a free pair of double power pucks by putting in free puck, and that's a $28 value. We're just just now introducing our double and triple powered power pucks because they wanted those.
3: Well, Alan, thank you so much for offering that as well this evening. Folks, one more time, and I'll hand it to Joe. It's the Green Innovative Energy Independence Day Contest. What's this all about? It's really simple. It gives you the opportunity to interact with everyone at Team Hagman, uh, Doug and Joe, Jackie, myself, Tech Eric, all of us. Uh, we're going to read your stories. We're going to go through them. We're going to find the best ones. Now, they can be super scary, or they can be kind of on the pithy or sarcastic or funny side. We had a great time doing this for the Mother's Day Contest. So get those uh, uh, stories to us. Again, the cutoff is the show wrap, Monday, July 3rd at 10 p.m. Eastern. We will not accept your submissions beyond that time. Go to HagmanReport.com for all of the specifics. Uh, be sure to uh, give Alan a call. Any questions you have, I'll tell you, every time I've ever called Alan, he picks up on the first or second ring. And, you know, Alan, thank you so much for continuing to to sponsor the show, for putting together these really cool uh, prize packages And I want to reiterate folks Get writing, get creative And get it out to us And not only do you have the opportunity to get A GMAG power cell It's an awesome little tool for your bug out bag but, but for the gold prize winner You will have your story published At hagmanreport.com And then boom, you've just become a writer For your debut This is an opportunity to get published This may be your first time ever Maybe you've wanted to write for years and years Get your stories out to us And for the gold winner, again, announced on Tuesday, July 4th, Independence Day, for the winner of the Green Innovative Energy Independence Day contest, you'll also see your work, uh, published at hagmanreport.com. Joe, I'll hand it to you.
2: Well, thanks, John, and thanks for, uh, coming on with, with Alan and, and laying that all out for us. Again, folks, um, enter, enter the competition. What do you have to lose? You can get the, uh, you, you can win the products from Green Innovative. And you know, have power anywhere on the go, uh, just with with the power pucks and with what with Alan Riggs has put together. And at the very least, go to com and check out all the the interesting um, things that are going on, on his website, all the products, the deals, and again, the the promo code is Hagman. Alan. This is
1: a contest too. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, this is make this fun. People Ooh.
2: want solutions. Make it fun. Go ahead. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah, threw me off there a little bit. But, Alan, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be sure to um, continue to to make mention of this while um, while we're on the air. And uh, we look forward to having you back on the 4th of July to announce the winner.
4: I'm looking forward to it, too. Thank, thank you very much. I always appreciate it. And I'm hoping to have fun with this as well. Thanks again.
2: Awesome. Again, thank you Alan much, Riggs right? from com. And, and John Robertson, thank you for, for joining us. I didn't mean to throw you off. No, it's alright. I, really, I just want people to really make it fun. Everyone talks about problems.
1: We got, we have problems out the wazoo. Okay. Everyone talks about wanting solutions. Here it is. Everyone talks about, you know, wallets are tight. Well, here, here's a chance. Okay. Make it fun. Enjoy yourselves. And, and you know what? Uh, he's, he's a real, real class act to, to open it up like this and, uh, give away his product like that. Go ahead, Joe.
2: We got a few minutes before the break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Stephanie McWilliams of, excuse me, Halsey News, HousingNews.com. Uh, we got some interesting stuff to get into, and then Stephanie Hamill from One American News Network will be joining us in the next segment from 8:30 to 9. Uh, we're going to cover more more news and, and current events, and then 9 to 10, standeo. We have about a minute and a half before the break. Just a few things that I will throw out there that we can get into. Uh, with some of our guests and, in the half hour segment we have later. Um, on the Daily Caller, they got an interesting article as their number one article. Uh, this could be big. FBI making big announcement in GOP baseball shooting investigation. Now, uh, this last week, obviously the shooting of Steve, Steve Scalise and others, um, has, has made international news as well as it should. And the FBI is holding a press conference tomorrow morning to announce the results of its investigation into last week's attempted mass assassination of Republican lawmakers and staffers. Uh, This is what the FBI announced today. The the assistant director in charge, Andrew Vail, and special agent in charge, Timothy Slater, will be joined by Alexandria Police Chief Michael Brown, U.S. Capitol Police Chief Matthew Verdoza, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives Special Agent, in charge michael boxler so tomorrow morning they will be holding a press conference apparently with new developments and the findings of their investigation don't forget the guy who's living in his van they confiscated all of his materials from from his electronics to the whatever weapons were left in there and his phone and they have been going through this evidence since last wednesday so they're going to announce the findings of the investigation and will we hear uh, something come out of that that we didn't expect to hear, or will it be exactly what we expected? We will find out tomorrow morning. Also, the independent investigation into Seth Rich was released today, I believe it's on Newsmax or you know, Newsweek, um, I was reading through that earlier, and they came to the conclusion without really pouring through the evidence that the the independent group says for the Seth Rich murder investigation that the death does not appear to be a random homicide, that it's likely a hired hitman or a serial killer. But those don't sound right to me either. I mean, maybe the hired hitman, but he must be terrible. So we're going to talk about that as the show progresses. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back on this edition of the Hagman Report. <laughs>
5: Visit HagmarReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back.
0: In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Circus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book one Precipice, book two Pentecost, and book three Penance.
1: edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Stephanie McWilliams is our guest. She is the editor-at-large, the content manager at HalseyNews.com. Halsey News, The uh, well, they are reviving investigative journalism with the truth. This is something that we strive to do as well. You know, the alternative media at times gets a black eye sometimes by, oh, these really well, you you know, folks. I don't have to get into it. She's also Stephanie McWilliams is also uh the host of uh, Right Millennial, now great program. Uh, I'm going to tell you. Go, well, first of all, just go to HalseyNews.com, her home base, where again she's the editor at large and content manager. And if you haven't heard of Halsey News, I can't believe you haven't. Uh It's a great it's a great website, great news source. Halsey, H-A-L-S-E-Y, it's right on the screen for those watching via YouTube, Global Star Satellite Radio Network, um, go to YouTube, it's H-A-L-S-E-Y, HalseyNews.com, and uh, BTR do the same as well, and uh, of course catch this interview as well on YouTube because she's appearing on video, which is just fantastic, Stephanie Michelin is welcome.
6: Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here
1: well, it's great to have you and it's it's it debut appearance on the hagman report it's it's just so uh it's so good uh it's so great to talk with 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 uh investigative journalists such as yourself who really seek the truth, go after the truth, report the truth, and have a standard of journalism that is impeccable. Where do you want to start tonight, this discussion? There's so much going on. Oh,
6: there is. We were discussing earlier where we're going to go with this, and I'm just thinking, I know one thing. I know I'm going to probably piss off half of my audience and half of yours, which is usually a sign to me that I'm saying the right things, the things that need to be said, even if people don't want to hear it. So maybe okay. we can delve into a little bit of the issues we're seeing on the right. All right. Yes. All right.
1: Yeah, and look, we're not, a, I've already, uh, pardon the expression pissed off half of the audience tonight anyway all right i've already <laughs> done, taken care of that for you we're, we're gonna will probably go for the other 25 percent of the half that <laughs> hasn't been done all right uh okay so yeah fire away
6: fire away okay so where do we even start right. um i think maybe we should touch on some of the recent happenings on the right some of the Recent sort of controversies that have been very divisive among my own side, if you will. Um, I think, I'm sure everybody in the audience has heard about the Laura Loomer um, stage disruption, protest, whatever you want to call it, that happened, I believe, over the weekend. Yep. That was Friday night, I believe. Friday night. I'm sorry. And that, to me, was very... It kind of brings me back to another situation that kind of divided me from many of my, you know, supporters, and <laughs> that was the battle for Berkeley, which I'd hope to get into. But as far as the Laura Loomer situation goes, I find the response of most of the, I kind of call them the new right, baffling. I find it crazy that literally a month ago they're complaining that, you know, leftists are shutting down speech they don't like and, you know, kind of using tactics that are, you know, very social justice warrior snowflake-like, and then now they're going and doing it and they're praising it and you know calling people calling people cucks and you know for calling out on their hypocrisy. I find it I find it insane what's going on.
1: Mm. Well, you know,
6: it,
1: it, yeah, I'm I'm I boy, I watched uh, she, Laura was on Sean Hannity last night. I can yeah. talk. Just give me a second, okay? Yeah, uh she was on Sean Hannity last night and she, and basically laid out her uh, reasons for doing what she did. And, you know, th- I will say this, Stephanie. Th- this that that play, that Shakespearean play, it has nothing to do with Shakespeare as far as I am concerned. Okay? Th- th- that's a bastardization. And I agree with her of Shakespeare itself. Uh, her actions, however, she was appeared on Sean Hannity to um uh, to to legitimize her actions. Now, I find myself in this really weird kind of place where I maybe you are too where I'm thinking okay uh, I, I I understand why she did it we yell at the left for shutting or progressives for um you know being uh, for shutting down free speech yet she does this um yeah I'm confused and and so you you're you're coming on the on the side of she she, she ought not have done that that way that way
6: I think it's that she should not have done it that way. If she had come with a contingent of 20,000 protesters holding signs the entire rest of the park, I would have had no problem with it, and I would have supported it. What I have a problem with is using Mm -hmm. tactics that are, you know, attempting to... And I'm not saying necessarily infringing in a legal sense. I understand the First Amendment is more to the government, things like that. But clearly using tactics to suppress speech that she doesn't like. And when I saw her on Sean Hannity, and she is saying the left uses free speech as a pretense for... Promoting violence, I found that chilling because that, to me, is exactly what they have been saying about us for years, right? They're saying, "Oh, well, the right, you know, the right uses free speech as a way to be racist and sexist and homophobic and evil and terrible." And now we're, ex- I'm expected to swallow that same ridiculous bullshit argument on their side, excuse my language. I just
1: we can bleep that out. That's all right.
6: I, thank you.
2: <laughs> well, very interesting. Go ahead. Let me. I just want to jump in here because. I have mixed feelings about this too. The what what she did is similar to, I guess it's similar in ways to, uh, you know what, so, similar in some ways to what we saw in Berkeley. This is my problem with with it though. With with Berkeley and with a lot of these other places, you have a speaker who's invited or coming in, and then violence and, and intimidation and protests and anger are used to to drown out and shut out that speaker from talking. The reason I look at this is a little bit different because this is, a, is something that's been ongoing, uh, in Central Park. This is a play that's been ongoing. And I don't know if we, I wouldn't call it violent their, their reaction, but the, the disruption of the play is similar to the tactics used. And I do agree that, you know, gathering people together, protesting it would have been a better approach.
1: I, I agree with but that. But I understand too.
2: the, the anger on the right because we see the things like Berkeley happen and we see, you know, the, this rise of the, the Antifa people with the masks. And there's been, you know, for the last six, eight months, this ongoing violence. And that's bad enough. But when the when the media and the police, the police are told to stand down, and they do, and then the media, you know, backs up this violence by, by justifying it. Just to be honest, I, I didn't have a problem with the, what they did on the Shakespeare in the Park. It was kind of like a, a taste of their own medicine without the violence. But at but, the same time, I but, understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah, the larger picture, I think, is what's Stephanie... You're is. not going to
2: win... Anybody to your argument by using these kind of tactics? Nobody saw that and said, "Oh my goodness, I, I'm going to to switch my opinion." So in that sense, I I do see it as uh, being a little redundant with the uh, you know. But but you know, Stephanie, the the the
1: problem I have too is we can't get twenty, let alone twenty thousand. It, it seems to me, people conservatives together to to take signs out there and, and to say you know or or to, to to, to make a stand, make a statement, or can we? I,
6: I think that we can. I just think we take things, we, we do such a weird approach. You know, we say that I ultimately have a problem with this idea that just because something gets attention, that it is inherently good for our side. When I see something like the Shakespeare situation, what would have been far more effective, in my opinion, is to point out that... The disgustingness of them continuing this play without even a disclaimer after Steven Skillies was shot by somebody targeting Republicans. The left had rope. They would have hanged themselves, but we didn't let that happen. Instead, we had to have somebody doing a, you know, premeditated planned attack, which just so happened to, you know, get her a massive Twitter following overnight. Something like twenty thousand dollars towards a legal fund for a fine of a thousand dollars. I think <laughs> yeah. you see things. You, you. This is why I feel that we can't get people to go out and protest and we can't get people to do the real work because we are constantly rewarding people. We do the absolute least work. They are simply doing things to get attention and money. And I am very sick of it. I. I see why people don't bother.
1: I and and I get I see your I see your point. Stephanie McWilliams is our guest. She's the editor at large. The, uh, content manager for HalseyNews.com. Uh, Stephanie, uh, okay. So how, what do you recommend here? We're in a really icky place. How's that icky place? Yep.
0: Um,
1: it's just our society, it, there, there's, there's the lack of civility. Remember the, remember that term gravitas that was bandied about a long time ago. Gravitas. And we have no, it, it seems like the statesmanship is gone. Diplomacy, civility. How do we? What do we do? How do
0: we get that back?
6: Well, here's here's the issue I have too is that I'm not even necessarily a person who is against a little bit of dirty fighting. I'm against dirty fighting that you know is shows nothing but our hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I'm against dirty fighting that has no pragmatic use and certainly no principled use like this. And I think that I agree with you. It'd be nice to get to get back to a sort of statesmanship and. And that sort of thing. I just think we need to be very careful in how we approach things, because I'm seeing a lot of the rhetoric that people are saying towards someone like me. They're saying, well, this hasn't worked. This hasn't worked. The left is winning. The left is winning. And I'm thinking, well, we have the presidency. We have the House. We have the Senate. We have turned the tide in so many ways culturally. We can continue with what we're doing. And I don't necessarily think we have to burn the whole thing down. And my main message that I keep saying to people on the right is, if you want civil war with the left, fine. But you better make sure you know what that means. And it does. Civil war looks a lot more like Syria than it doesn't look like getting thirty thousand Twitter followers overnight, an episode of Sean Handy and a bunch of money. That's not what civil war will be. And I think people do not realize the gravitas of the situation.
1: Hmm. Okay. Do, do you think we're close to that 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 flashpoint at this point? Uh, the flashpoint of of uh, the ideological the civil war, or that that turning hot? Do you think we're we're close to that?
6: I really do. I think that. You know, I I feel like I'm going here and bullying the right. But, I mean, the left is the cause of all of this, in my opinion. This would not be the the climate we're in in the first place if we did not have the leftist indoctrination from kindergarten to high school, leftist institutions, leftist media. So, you know, make no mistake, I'm not blaming – what I can do is is speak to the people I speak to and try to change minds. Ultimately, no one on the left gives a damn what I think, and they're not going to listen to me. So I'm going to speak to my own people. And what I'm saying to you is that we need to be very careful with what we do at this point. I really do believe that we are approaching, like you said, a flashpoint, a crisis point. We're seeing all these little pot shots at each other. And I, I don't believe in this half measures. I think if you're really going to stand for something, you need to take a stand knowing what it will be if if that happens. And I don't think we're there yet with the left. I think that treating them like children has worked well for the past couple of years, and if we continue to do that, I think we'd be just fine.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Treating them as children. You're right. I mean, um, mean, of course they uh, they treat themselves as such.
2: And then, you know, uh, just looking at the landscape here, um, we have, you know, basically half a country that's not even engaged in the political or voting process. And then, you know, what what we're really speaking to is those people who are engaged and you know then those people who are engaged are divided you know basically along two ideological lines um but we saw as the the results from the election that even with all the the media all the money in the world all the media support and as the uh, the former president obama said you know the most qualified person ever to run for president can't pull off a win against somebody who's never held an office. That has to say, as you said earlier, that that says a lot um, for about, about the people in this country. I guess that the the purpose would be the point of what I said would be how do we get people who fo- follow politics, you know, you know, half-heartedly, but do vote. How do we get them engaged and get their get them to add their opinions into this? I mean, what are we not doing if we're not winning other people to our side of ideas? And I guess what we're doing is only for, for the people who are paying attention, for ourselves and, and those who we know are watching. What can we do, and what tactics? Do you have any um any ideas of, of ways that we can go about uh, trying to, to bridge this gap of divide? And if I the people that, who are paying that, attention are question. dug into their argument. They're not going to change their mind um, unless something happens.
1: And, and if I could just uh, append that question with as a millennial, maybe that's... As a
6: millennial. Well, to me, it's it's... it's strange to me to imagine not being interested in politics. I've always been interested in politics. I've always considered it to be important. Um, I would like a smaller government, so that'd be great. But as it stands, of course, I, I feel that I have to be involved in these sorts of situations. And I wish I had an easy answer as to why people my age don't seem to care. I think I think a big thing that we can learn from the left is that people on the right tend to talk in terms of Um, you know, efficiency, statistics, you know, those things. And those three things are important. Do not get me wrong. But I think that the left has managed to win over people in the way that most people really are convinced. You know, if you look at cognitive biases, most people are not convinced by science and facts. They're convinced by emotion. I think we need to use emotion to show the statistics that we have and the truth that we have on the right wing of politics. And I think that will make people more interested when they see how it affects them, how it affects their daily lives. I don't think anybody wants a civil war, and yet we see these sides pushing for it, and the average person is just sitting there thinking that this would, could never happen. And, you know, it can. It's frightening.
2: Uh, Stephanie, what else uh, on the right is, is concerning? Are there any other uh, behaviors or things going on that that is concerning to you, kind of like along the lines of what you just pointed out with the uh, the Shakespeare play?
6: Well, I think the biggest things that frustrate me is that, we have this weird thing on the right that we have to be unified because the left is. They manage to kind of create a mob where everybody just thinks the same, nobody's really educated on the issues, and they all just kind of say, okay, Democrat, good, Republican, bad, go. I don't want that on the right, and it frustrates me that people are acting as though it's virtuous to want to be blindly united with people. Now, don't get me wrong. There are times for unity. For example, I can I can fully say we need to elect Donald Trump because the option Hillary Clinton. Suck it up, Ben Shapiro. I'm sorry. I don't know what else you want me to tell you. I'm fine with saying that. What I'm not fine with saying is that, you know, everybody at my news organization has to write the same way because we're not unified on the right. I think that's the first step. I think we already have a lot of these great ideas. And we're seeing, to me, a very disturbing thing I'm seeing is that there's this sort of, I don't even think they're as big as they seem, but there's this kind of white ethnic nationalist thing going on with a lot of the new right. And these small group of people, the way way that they and their followers lash out against anybody who goes against them it's really stopping people from saying anything. And I've witnessed this myself because I'll say, well, that's kind of, you know, very un-American and horrible. And, you know, I'll get completely just barraged with attacks. It doesn't surprise me that nobody wants to talk about it. And I think that this is, there's a point where the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I think we got that with the election. Now it's time to do the work for the next four years and decide who, as conservatives, as people on the right, what do we want to be? What is the vision of our side?
2: Now, um, the, the move towards, see, I, I guess, uh, we don't look too often, but, um, I haven't seen a huge move towards, towards white nationalism. Um, what are some of the things you've seen? Is it, is it just like the, uh, the things that you see online or the, uh, cause I do see a lot of the, the racist things that people post in comment sections. I mean, you can't even read a political article with comments without getting, you know, without seeing all that craziness in there. See, Aside from the internet.
6: I'm less concerned about overt racist nationalism. I'm not, I'm not really worried about the KKK marching around Alabama. Right. I'm more concerned with this general legitimization of identitarianism. We're seeing it in Europe in a big way. That's where I'm seeing it in real life. You know, it's kind of, they're doing these identitarian movements, you know, where, where what it really means is, you know, if, if you're white and have a French name, you can say in France, um, not based on a sort of civic, you know, collective, which is what I believe in that, you know, america is today people who believe in american values i consider american i don't really care what color they are um and so we're seeing it a lot in the um in real life i believe in europe and places like that but i think on the internet it's a lot bigger than people want to say but it's it's odd like there is it's part of me wants to say that it's it's really big and a big problem and part of me wants to say well it's really a small group of guys the problem is the small group of guys are extremely convincing in their arguments to people and since nobody on the right will go after their arguments and Talk about why they're fallacious and wrong. It they end up being able to gain support from these people who feel rejected by the left and the right. So I think it's a big problem. I think it's going to be a defining issue in the next few years. I really do.
1: Interesting statement. Now, are, are you are you saying? and maybe joe added this is this white nationalism or nationalism that, that you're referencing or
6: i'm referencing i recall it i i usually identify it as ethnic nationalism okay. or identitarianism it's not necessarily specifically white it's more this idea that there's you know there's a lot of people writing about this and some of them are very intelligent have very good arguments that i want to see debated um just this idea that people are happier in you know Homogenized groups that you know, and I'm not. And of course, now of course people are going to accuse me of saying I want mass immigration to the third world. I don't. But that's how people think. Um, this identitarianism, I can I consider when I would say a nationalist, like a Trump nationalist, I would say that's kind of like a pseudo civic nationalism. You know, a nationalism exactly. to your country, to your ideals, into the constitution. I I don't think that is a problem. I think the problem is a nationalism. I don't I don't believe in things being based on immutable characteristics of birth. I think that's a pretty good rule when deciding uh, rights for people. So I don't like seeing that thrown away, and I really don't like seeing people so scared to even criticize it because they go after you like a mob.
2: I, I right. agree with that. I, well,
1: she's got, she's on point with that.
2: No, absolutely, and and obviously there is a a, a big distinction between uh, you know what you call ethnic, ethnic nationalism and, and nationalism, um, because you know we've seen nationalism demonized in the news. Uh, as of late, and as you just described very well, all that is, is, you know, um, you know, getting back to, to the constitution, the laws and the things that made this, this country what it is. And obviously immigration was part of that. One thing that I do see though, especially in places like Europe and, and not so much over here. It's over here a little bit with, with the, you know, the, the homosexual and transgender movement is the special rights and privileges. All these groups are, you know, they want, Basically, even on college campuses, we're seeing them go back to the segregation, the safe spaces. And when you have, um, all these different groups, you know, with their, with the pride and and the, and the marches excluding other groups, I can see how people will revert back to, you know, to their own group to promote that.
7: As a Absolutely. knee-jerk reaction.
2: I, right. As a knee-jerk reaction. And we're seeing is, that yeah. in Europe a lot. Um. Yep. Especially because the, and then when it's forced down your throat, people are going to, you know, we talked about the emotional response. That seems to me to be an emotional response. Um, feeling like your, your identity is under attack. I mean, even now we see, and I'm not defending any, any racist or, or ethnic extremist, but when, when you're told that, you know, uh, you're a terrorist for being white or, uh, you know, you're racist for being white, that, that's the kind of mentality that I can see that will drive people back to those identity politics that you talk about.
6: Absolutely. Like like many of these things I talk about, I go after the right because they're the only people I can speak with. The left just doesn't talk to me or care. But this was completely created by the left. I mean, we used to have countries would generally have a a shared culture, and now we've said not only do you have to import other cultures, you have to import other cultures that are blatantly against your culture, such as Islamic culture coming to Canada and the United States and Europe, and you have to accept that. And if you don't accept it, you're racist. For some reason and evil and white people are terrorists like you said so I, I totally understand I really don't like this ridiculous rhetoric that you know white people are inherently evil and white people are responsible for every evil of all time it's I don't appreciate it <laughs> I,
1: I, I, and the, yeah. we're right there with you
2: and one of the things about the you know how the, the left's arguments if you don't support wholeheartedly the ideas they're throwing out somehow your lack of support for that equates to you being hateful against what they want or what their ideals are which is completely backwards and i don't know how we we got to this place um but any suggestions on what we can do to uh, and you said you mentioned one already you know people on the right should as most groups in, in america should just self-police to a degree you know you don't let um certain people you know espouse hate or anything like this any other uh suggestions on how to to tone it down at least um you know with the groups you're talking about on the right,
6: well, see my thing isn't even to necessarily tone it down I 'm actually fine with people like Richard Spencer speaking wherever he wants to. My issue is that we are not even discussing his ideas we 're just letting him speak, but nobody's really challenging what he's saying. I have no problem with um I don't really want to censor or even self-police necessarily, but I do not, I, I want to get rid of this idea that because people fall to the right somehow that we are supposed to be a mass unified mob like the left is. I don't really think the left is so great. So I don't really have any interest in emulating their tactics and I certainly don't want to emulate their principles, but I think we can, I think just freedom of speech needs to be hammered into us. And that's why this Laura Loomer thing, as tiny as it is, really frustrated me because that is the first step towards that's going to, it's going to make the climate so much worse. If people cannot discuss things and we start saying that, oh, well, your speech isn't allowed because it's hate speech, then, you know, you're going to end up like Britain where people are, you know, getting imprisoned for saying Islam is bad.
7: It's Yeah,
6: scary.
1: And, and it's interesting on Sean Hannity, uh, Laura, uh, the uh, protester, called that play, um, I think it was violence porn, political violence. She said. Okay, all right. And to that extent, I agree. But I also agree with the fact that, but what you were saying in terms of the remedy for this, and, and I think that we have to really kind of keep that in the in front and center. Uh, again, our guest is Stephanie McWilliams. Stephanie, tell people how they can follow you on social networking, and of course, uh, where they can uh, see the uh, Right Millennial, uh, w- w- of which you're the host. Uh, tell people about. Uh,
6: well, you can find me on Twitter all the time at Steph McWilliams, and you can find my writing at HalseyNews dot com. I am the owner and editor, and I write there all the time. I also Post right millennial which you can find on youtube and if you want to find everything about me all together you can go to right i also just wanted to quickly say that on july 1st we are going to be announcing a big project with Halsey news so please stay tuned for that i can't tell you much but i am extremely excited about it
1: oh can we get you back after your announcement perhaps
6: absolutely we can... all right I would perfect come back.
1: all right stephanie thank you so very much god hey, bless you you're problem. a wonderful you. young lady and it's a great great website great project great investigative journalism they keep doing what you're doing Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Folks, that was Stephanie McWilliams, uh, the editor at large and content manager of halseynews.com. It's a good website. She's a very articulate young lady. She's got her own set of views. Look, folks, um, we, we, you know, it, it these are difficult discussions. And if we it's easy to bring someone on, um, it, it, to, to talk about, uh, discussions that, that, that are not controversial, that, that are already kind of decided but these are the the subjects that are in people's minds her position with this and, and and again i think joe and and myself you know we're looking at this and um with the with the uh, linda uh the protester at the play you know is this the right thing to do but i i agree joe the one thing i uh, and i'll tell you this we need to respond it's just how we do it is the question now tomorrow night we're going to have a different point of view on just Stay tuned for that. Yeah, but, um, hey, we have to do something, though, you know.
2: No, absolutely. And um, obviously, you know, if we continue to just, you know, play our own side of the field, we, we see the hate building up, the division building up, and the violence. Um, it, it just seems to be, you know, almost every week now. And something has to change in order to change the cycle and in and, and the direction that we're heading in. And if it doesn't, well, you know, many people have said we could see a civil war, we could see much bigger conflicts. So we have to, you know, what is it, insanity is doing the same thing over and over. Yeah, and over it's, it's interesting how she described that civil war. She knows of which she speaks. It's not going to be a Twitter war, you know. <laughs> no, it won't. Folks, we'll be right back after this short break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to this edition of the Hagman Report.
1: Hagman and Hagman Report. Have we got a treat for you right now? We've got uh, our guest, is Stephanie Hamill. Stephanie Hamill is a political commentator for One American News Network. Unless you've been living under a rock somewhere. I don't know. Survivor. Is that show still on? It doesn't matter. Unless you're, like, you know, without uh, any power whatsoever or any, any internet you know one american news network of which uh for which uh, Stephanie Hamill, our, our next guest is a political commentator and they do they do some great work and and we follow uh one american news network uh uh very closely and Stephanie Hamill is a person that we follow as well Stephanie welcome to the program
7: thank you for having
1: me uh, it's 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 just it's great to see you. it's great to finally see you in person and uh we have a lot to talk about. You've got a lot of things, um uh, before the show, John, our, 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 producer and program director, uh, I think kind of said, you know, where do you want to start? We've got, uh, we got things like, uh, Megan Kelly for crying out loud. <laughs> okay. Um, we've got the Seth Rich murder. Uh, you get, you got, uh, the, the fact that the
2: North Korean, um, young man dies. Yeah. You know? And you didn't see, uh, and not to jump in, interrupt. No, but Trump Japan. issued a tweet today, kind of an ominous tweet. There's a lot of speculation uh, uh, I, I about the tweet that. about uh, yeah, China but... did try to help, you know, in the North Korea situation. I'll always remember that, but it didn't work. Something along those lines.
1: You yeah. have people yep.
2: uh, speculating on Twitter.
1: And then, of course, you have news that that is kind of flying under the radar, with the exception of your organization, where uh, the uh, lawmakers are calling for more gun rights. And then, of course. Uh, some other things. Where do you want to start, Stephanie?
7: Why don't we start with the Seth rich case? I mean, big news today. I'm not sure if you saw this, but the Profiling Project, an organization, they've been doing an investigation, and they released a very lengthy report. Uh, I got through about 45 pages of it, and some really interesting stuff. Uh, did Did you hear about it?
2: Yes. Yeah, I got to read some of it. Uh, I'd like to hear you. Uh,
1: by way of introduction, and, and Stephanie, to, to be fair, I'm not sure if you know this or not, and, and just as a reintroduction to, to our, some of our newer viewers, uh, both Joe and I are, are investigators by profession. I've been an investigator in the private sector for 30-plus years. I've worked on unsolved homicides along with uh, Pennsylvania and New York State Police and local and police agencies consulting on a consultant basis, but better, analyst, forensic-type stuff. I looked at this report, and i got to tell you, there's so much, um, the initial reports of the, the the homicide from start to finish, everything that was open source and available, there's so much wrong with this. But go mm-hmm. ahead. Uh, just to kind of give you some background so you know us a little yeah,
7: bit. This was really I did, I did a little research on you, so I found that out. But um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I used to work as a local news reporter for a CBS affiliate in Arizona right by the border, so there were homicides all the time. I was covering murder cases, reporting on them. And so, you know, I would go through the process to get, in, invest, uh, you know, investigative information as well, like asking for surveillance video, asking for any information that the police departments had so I could put together my reports. Now, of course, you never want to jump to conclusions because you never know who it is until you actually have hard, solid evidence and it's, you know, declared by, a, a you know, the police department and the courts and whatnot. But um, this is really interesting and just the reaction to this report too but let's first dig into the actual report so the profiling project this was uh, conducted by an all volunteer group from George Washington University so there you know experts involved students involved as well now they weren't privy to any sort of extra uh, information that we haven't seen, but they did kind of like victimology uh, profile of the victim, and they were looking at some of the things that, you know, the people that have been investigating this looked at, which, is, of course, is that they're just not buying that this was a botched armed robbery. I mean, you believe that. I believe that, you know, this is just... It, there's just too much going on there to just believe that this was an armed robbery gone wrong. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, their profile, they believe that this was some sort of serial killer... Or, uh, you know, somebody that was out there to get him, uh, they knew who he was and it was a targeted attack. And the way that what was really interesting was they said that, that the crime scene was very clean. Like this person knew what they were doing and they didn't leave behind any evidence. And it's almost like they knew how police and law enforcement investigate these types of crimes.
1: Interesting. You're, you're, you're right. And, and, um, that report is well worth the read. I'm I'm looking at this. Uh, The victimology aspect of this, to me, is extremely critical. Uh, Now, now sometimes the behavior part. Sometimes people who are not ordinary victims place themselves in positions to become victims. Is this perhaps the case with Seth Rich? You know, it just doesn't have that feeling, Um, or the, the evidence doesn't seem to suggest that. I, I do tend to believe that this was a targeted killing. I can see where an argument could be made for a botched robbery. I mean, by definition, that uh, I, I get that. However, um, it, it, the the way that the police handled it afterwards, along with the FBI involvement, seems to suggest other things. What else have you noticed? Well, and also the reaction from
7: the family spokesperson, who is the spokesperson slash crisis management person for the DNC, he didn't, you know, it's pretty obvious he didn't even read the report, but he wanted to go out and just discredit this report immediately without even looking at it. He says, oh, well, just a bunch of students. They're just doing classwork, having fun. You know, that's what he was basically saying. So, you know, for somebody that works at the DNC, wouldn't they take this as some sort of lead, new information, um, you know, maybe seen in a different light? Wouldn't they care about that? Why would he dismiss this without even... Having time to read through it because the report was released just today, and he found out about the report about thirty minutes before it was released to the public. Don't you find that odd?
2: Good point. Yeah, good point. And we've learned that this guy is what a political strategist, uh, crisis crisis consultant. Yeah, and I I expected nothing less from him. You know, he's just doing his job. And one thing about this report that gets me. This is the serial killer part. Um, Interesting you brought that
1: up and that, that report addressed that. Go,
2: go ahead. Because the serial killer, unless, what do they call it, unless he's devolving, they're not just going to go out on the street and shoot people. If it was a serial killer, they That's would a, have found him, you know, in a river or, you know, skinned well, no, no, up. No, it, it, it
1: depends, though. No, no, no. That, he, that might be a wrong... the difference between a
2: serial killer and a spree killer. When I think of serial killer, you think of methodical, planned out. Unless, you know, well, they, they're, they're they, about to
1: get caught. The serial killer by definition is just the I, number.
2: The serial killer by definition is somebody who commits two or more murders. Um, it doesn't matter the
1: mode. Just the number. I but, guess. Okay, I, okay. They could have phrased it differently. So, sorry, we're, 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 talking amongst ourselves while you sit there. We apologize. But even that.
7: And there was also another key part of this was that when Seth Rich, when, uh, you know, paramedics or whoever arrived to pick him up, he was still alive. So we know that that's a fact. And so they were suggesting that it's like Seth didn't even know he had been shot. It's And that's what this report is alluding to, that he maybe didn't even see the killer. So, you know, again, that debunks this idea of the, you know, this was a robbery because, again, he was found with his wallet, $2,000 in cash, his jewelry, his cell phone, nothing was taken from him. So if you look at it from that perspective, You know, somebody could have been hiding, lurking around, and shooting him from that angle, and that's what this report suggests. And also, it seems like this group, they had also a very difficult time getting information. So, you know, if they really want to solve this murder, wouldn't they release some information to help, you know, spread the word, to get people to come out with information?
1: You know, you've had experience in this video, as you mentioned. You never... As a reporter, investigative journalist, you, you you've never really had that issue uh, by the police where they threw up roadblocks for for information for you. Is that correct? I mean I, on average,
7: sometimes I had roadblocks, but I'm thinking back at most of the like homicide type situations that we were dealing with. If there was any surveillance video, the police department was really quick about releasing that video because they wanted people to come forward with information. And, you know, police department would give, you know, send out these press releases as well. So they wanted to get as much information in our hands as possible so that we could inform the community so that the community would come forward. And, you know, I left Arizona and there were still some unsolved murder cases that I had a feeling I knew who it was. But obviously, like I said, you don't want to speculate or, you know, accuse somebody of something maybe they didn't do. And then, you know, years later, I find out that I was right.
1: I, I Okay. Very good. Stephanie Hamill is our guest she's with she's a political commentator with one american news network o a n n .com extremely adept uh, investigative journalist uh, we are lucky to have her um the bigger picture on this Seth Rich murder when when we take a look at the uh well uh, l- let me go in a different direction uh the other Alleged, well, the other deaths that took place with respect to Sean Lucas, we'll, we'll toss him in the process server, um, and move. And, and, and the federal prosecutor that uh, whose body washed up on Hol- in Hollywood Beach, what was it, May 25th or thereabouts, May 24th, um, w- Wisenant, I, I believe his last name was May 25th in, in Hollywood, Florida, and then you've got uh, there was another one who uh, died. Uh, Force trauma on the beach. He was a federal prosecutor. That I was yeah. uh, that was one I'm referring to. Do you do you include those in this um, in, in this as part of this, or do you think that's reaching in your
7: view? I wouldn't say that it's reaching. I think that it is relevant because if you could imagine if political adversaries of Donald Trump just started dropping dead like flies, there would be a lot of questions. And, you know, this guy that you're speaking of who washed ashore uh, in Florida that happens to be uh, in the district where they were investigating voter fraud, which happened to be Debbie Wasserman Schultz district. You know, a lot of things just don't make sense. And like I said, if this was Donald Trump, people would already be accusing him of, you know, sending hitmen to get rid of people that are inconvenient for him.
1: Well, in and in, um – but Stephanie, one thing I found really interesting, and, and I looked at the, I, I read through the case, the DNC case number, which uh, was filed by Jared Beck and his wife, and, and the plaintiffs were numerous, of course. And it was filed back on June 28th, 2016. And just this past, within the last, well, it was June, uh, it was June 14th, I'm looking at my notes here, I believe it was June 14th, Um uh, the, uh, Jared Beck had petitioned the court for relief for protection um then the oath keepers apparently had stepped up and said we'll provide you for personal protection the reason being when they petitioned a court saying they cited seth rich uh the homicide unsolved homicide of seth rich as well as of course the um uh, that weird phone call voice changing phone call that led back to allegedly Uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz's office. Why you'd spoof a voice and not a a caller ID? Don't really know. Funny things happen, but nonetheless, that request was denied. Did you see that?
7: No, I didn't hear about that, but the the phone call coming in, I think that, you know, they're saying it was Debbie Wasserman Schultz's phone number. You know that you can use, like, a burner cell phone and create a fake number, so I think that Wasserman Schultz is a little bit smarter than that. I don't (laughs) think she can call directly from her phone. You know, she's been with the DNC for a long time, you know, you get fired from the DNC and then you get a position in the Hillary Clinton campaign. She knows what she's doing. Uh, again, all of these people that have gone, uh, you know, committed suicide or just dropped dead, um, you know, there's no trail. And unfortunately, I get this gut feeling that that's probably going to be the case for Seth Rich since we're at this point. And again, nobody even wants to touch this report, which is why I'm more curious. Because you know, if you think about when Nancy Holloway when she went missing, do you remember the wall-to-wall coverage of you know somebody that was missing in Aruba? Yeah. This happened in the backyard in Washington D.C. in a very uh, you know almost like a nice neighborhood of D.C. This should have gotten more coverage, but immediately was just you know shut down.
1: I mean, Nancy Grace made uh, made that her nightly newscast for how many weeks and months and years? Yeah, yeah exactly. Very good point.
7: Today, I thought, you know a report on it from you know, like last year. The dad was still looking for answers, you know, until the, the guy came forward. But it, it, again, the, the lack of interest and this reaction, even from Republicans that are that just want to call this a conspiracy theory, an unsolved murder isn't a conspiracy theory. Maybe suggesting that the DNC had some sort of part in this and that there could have been a hitman call, that's conspiracy, but an unsolved murder isn't conspiracy. But when you're looking at a murder you have to look at a motive. I mean people just don't get shot for no reason. So there's a reason. And right. we now we have some idea that you know he was the one who possibly Gave the DNC documents to WikiLeaks. There's a motive right there. Now, again, we don't have solid evidence on that, just because you know this was Rod Greeler, the private investigator, who told us this information, and also WikiLeaks had suggested it. And he hasn't been proven wrong in 11 years, but we don't have that hard evidence yet in our hands to see.
1: And I like the, I like your approach to this. By the way, we and folks, I, I cannot tell you how many people have sent us emails. I mean, we've got thousands of emails from people uh about the, this murder, about this homicide. Look, folks, we are investigating this, but we are not going to uh, make any rash statements, you know, uh, with respect to, well, it's con- definitely connected to the DNC. It's definitely this. It's definitely that. No. However, we do follow the
2: evidence, as our guest uh, Stephanie Hamill does as well. Uh, right, and, and we talked about this hundreds yeah. of times. When you're told you you know don't look in this area oh yeah you know for for evidence because it's irrelevant that's where you look first
1: or on the and, other hand or look over here yeah there's another red flag
2: and to just for them as you said stephanie for them to come out and say you know it's a conspiracy theory and these people are crazy just for asking the questions to me that says so much already about yeah. how the truth will never come out uh, as long as these people can help it and it's really it's frustrating and
7: also, the, the, the DNC spokesperson, that the crisis management guy, uh, Brad Bowman, he's also somebody who's been peddling the Trump Russia collusion conspiracy. So, if you look at the big picture here, if that leaked the documents to WikiLeaks, the whole Russia narrative falls apart. So, the mainstream media—they're all embarrassed. The DNC, you know, we find out a lot more information. So the whole everything, the whole world falls apart for the left, for these Democrat politicians, the DNC, and all these bobbleheads. And that's why nobody has any interest in this story.
2: Stephanie, real quick while, while we touch on this, the Trump-Russia collusion uh, investigation, the Mueller thing. What do you make of, of Mueller? And I just saw recently that he's he continues to hire... Uh, Clinton donors and lawyers. Um, Where do you suspect this is going to go?
7: Yeah, I don't like where it's going. Mueller shouldn't be uh, in charge of this. He should recuse himself from this investigation as well because he's best friends with Comey. They're best friends. How can you have him in charge of something like this? And just in general, if you look at the State Department and the people in government, they're all anti Trump. That's why all these leaks are coming out. Uh, you know, they're all determined to bring him down. This is deep state. And you know, I, I hope that we get to see this in a fair way. You know, obviously the Russia Trump collusion it's narrative is falling apart fast. So now they're trying to get him for obstruction. It's absurd.
1: It's it's as Sean Hannity called it last night, um, uh, in, in mission creep. And this happens uh to to investigators. Uh, unfortunately, it happens to investigators. But in this case, this is by design, Mueller having this mission creep where it begins with one set of uh, mandates and extends well beyond that it, but, and allowed to, by law, to extend beyond that. And, and you're right as well, The uh, the staff that he has put on, or attorneys from a law firm, 99.81% have donated to, of uh, uh, that law firm donated to uh, the Clinton Foundation or the Clinton ca- uh, campaign, I'm sorry. It's just an incredible stacking of the deck here.
7: When you look at everything that Hillary Clinton has gotten away with, it's
3: amazing that we're looking
7: into uh, you know, our president in this way when Hillary Clinton submitted all these felonies and and everything else you can imagine. Yeah, she got away with it. And then we still have the Obama spying scandal, Loretta Lynch, the tarmac meeting with Bill Clinton. There's so many unanswered questions, uh, and we need to get to the bottom of this. And I warned Donald Trump through a final thought. I don't know if he watched it or not. You know, right after the election, I said, please, you got to lock up Hillary Clinton and her whole gang, or at least look into it. You can't just let them go because they're going to be on his back every single day, which is what they're
1: doing. You know, uh, and you are so correct in this, but I don't see any of that happening. For whatever reason, um, and and Stephanie, maybe you can shed some light on this. Why aren't we seeing um, the perp walks of some of the major players here? I can can guarantee you this, and, and take this to the bank in my view, that with Mueller, if Mueller is allowed to stay and continue, there will be perp walks from the Trump administration. I guarantee you that. If not uh, t- the takedown of the presidency itself, but why haven't Isn't
7: we? Anthony Weiner, like, he's still not in trouble. Uma Abadie's husband, or you know, his great husband, or whatever. Right, yeah, he's not in trouble. I mean, he not only handled classified emails that he was, you know, just printing out for his wife that he didn't look at, and then also, you know, his Sexting scandal with a minor. He's still not in jail.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, and again, my question is why? And and Stephanie, will will we see? Do you believe, based on your investigative analysis, research, and your experience, will we see anybody in this in that pool of suspects and, and uh, criminals being purple after or or actually put away?
7: I hope so, but like I said, there are just so many deep state players involved, and it's obvious that you know the Clintons are almost untouchable, and everyone that works with them, they seem to be untouchable as well. I hope that there will be justice. There are obviously crimes have been committed, but uh, unless you know Donald Trump puts his foot down and starts you know requesting these you know investigations to continue or be reopened, nothing will happen. But he needs to understand. That a lot of the people that are working for him aren't supportive of him, and they want to see him fail.
1: Man, have you have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, seriously, the the animosity, the animus, the hatred, the uh, uh, the, the the sub. Well, what would you call it? It's, it's almost treasonous against Donald Trump. I just
7: it, it's a and it's sucking up so much of the administration's time. When Americans are worried about healthcare, they're worried about the economy. And, you know, the administration is moving along. We, we see, you know, they're coming up with their tax reform. They are working on healthcare. You know, that's debatable on how good that's going to be. I hear a lot from doctors that they're not impressed and, you know, they're, they are concerned what's going to come from the Senate. But, um, yeah, they are moving along, but the mainstream media aren't covering any of the good things that the Trump administration is doing. If you look at, you know, the battle against human trafficking, that should be all over the news. You hardly hear about it. And you hear, you know, what they're doing, trying to do for school choice for children, for the poor. That's big news. But, again, you know, anything Donald Trump does, they spin it into the negative. Like I've said before, if Donald Trump were to save a drowning baby, they would somehow find something wrong with that.
1: Amen Amen to that. Uh We're talking with Stephanie Hamill. Dorothy Hamill's. I'm kidding. Uh, Steph, uh, most people don't even know who Dorothy Hamill is, probably. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie Hamill. Uh, Stephanie Hamill our guest. One America News Network. O A N N dot com. That's O A N N dot com. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, how can people follow you on social media?
7: I'm on Twitter. It's, it's Steph and Hamill, and I do have a Facebook page. You can like me there, and you can find me on Facebook as well. Although I think I have too many friends, and you probably can't have me.
1: Okay. See how you are.
2: Try to friend you and you won't, you won't, they won't take us. What are you going to say? You have a we question? only have a, a few minutes left, Stephanie. Real quick, I'd like to get your thoughts on the uh, police officer who was just found not guilty in the, uh, was it the Castile shooting?
7: Yes, uh, Philando Castile. And, you know, I called this, you know, many months ago when this all happened. You know, we've seen this over and over again, where people aren't listening to police officers' directions. When a police officer says, do something, you do it. You don't try to steal their gun. You don't try to reach for a gun, and you won't get shot. And so this is, you know, this the less, you know, phony cries of racism. Police officers, 99.9% of them are good people going out there to do their jobs to protect us every single day. And you know I'm just so sick of police officers being trashed in this country. It makes my blood boil. So to see that this officer was found not guilty on all charges was a relief. Uh, I expected that. Um, and you know we learned a lot more about this case. About we all saw that shocking video that went viral of the girlfriend Diamond Reynolds filming uh, mm. putting. Her- boyfriend's death on Facebook Live where he was bleeding. It was really shocking. But that was just the aftermath. Nobody ever wants to show what happened, what led up to that point. And so that was the important part was this officer, Officer Yanez, he felt like his life was in danger. This guy was reaching down. He had a gun. Yeah, he said
2: said he had a gun.
7: Yeah, Yeah. he said he had a gun. The officer told him not to reach down. He did it anyways. So when you're at this point and – you're married and you have a young daughter at home and you're dealing with drugs and gangbangers all day long, you're not going to take that chance. And so, you know, I don't think that... And he had a very... He had a clean record. He'd never done anything like this before. So, again, to accuse this officer of being racist was, was ridiculous. And now the family's going to file, um, you know, a civil lawsuit, you know, at the federal level. So, you know, it's to it, see what happens. And this poor officer, he was... Let go from his job. His life's you know turned upside down. He's going to have to start over. Maybe another city will take him as a police officer if he wants to go back. But you see that they you know law enforcement's in crisis. They're having trouble recruiting people.
1: Exactly. I, I could see him going to Idaho and uh, making furniture. Like uh, uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of his name now uh, from the O.J. case. Uh, Stephanie Hamill, thank you so much for joining us. I, I, we do hope you, you'll come back and visit with us, and spend some more time with us at some point in the future.
7: Absolutely.
2: All right, Stephanie Hamill. One political. American News Network yep. is the the website oann dot com. What a what a great she's a she's a
1: her, the website's great. She's a great political commentator. I I really enjoy
2: her work. Yeah, I'm glad we'll have to have her back because we uh, there's a lot of other issues we didn't get to. Uh, only one segment's not yeah. a lot of time. So we will bring her back. Uh, lots of great information when we come back. We got some interesting news. We're going to go over, uh touch on topics of the day, important topics of the day. And when after that, Standeo will be our guest, as he is each and every Tuesday, from nine to ten. Folks, go to Standeo.com, pull up the show images page, and there you can follow along when when Stan comes on. But when we come back, we're going to uh, continue to get into news, current events give you a little update on the uh, preliminary results coming out of the georgia election and just the absentee or the early voting has been counted so far with interesting results we'll have that on the other side don't go anywhere (laughs)
8: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Army skit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armys Kit at www.ChangeLosonWoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
2: The edition of the Hagman Report. Uh, great first half of the show. Covered a lot of ground. Uh, there's still some things that we have not got into that just me and my dad are here for this segment we're gonna get into. We have, uh, some interesting information coming out of Brussels and there was an attempted terrorist attack today. The, I believe the terrorist was shot and killed. He blew himself up in the, uh, in the Brussels train station yelling Aulu Akbar and yesterday they're on the heels of uh, whatever happened in London, which details are still, they're saying it was a white supremacist, that hit a crowd of people coming out of a mosque. Uh, We still haven't and will not know the the one death that was attributed to that attack. Um, The man had collapsed right before the attack happened. There's still a lot of questions about that, so we will put that on hold for now. But yesterday, in Paris, a uh attempted terror attack was foiled when a man in uh w- I believe he had machine guns and explosives in his car, rammed into a police car, blew up the car, and that was the beginning and end of his attack in Paris yesterday. Then today we have a attempted terrorist attack in the Brussels train station and uh luckily the the police and army soldiers were there and as soon as the man tried to do something he was he was shot by police. Also uh we have on HagmanReport.com, Michael Snyder wrote a great piece. Uh, I got two of his pieces up there. One, The one I'm going to touch on is from a few days ago. What's going on with the Illinois financial meltdown? Um, again, Michael Snyder has a, a great piece on the Economic Collapse blog, uh, economiccollapseblog.com, about what's going on in Illinois. The worst financial nightmare in Illinois history erupts a state comptroller decries we are in a massive crisis mode i was doing a little bit of research on this today trying to figure out what it was that led to the illinois financial crisis they have a republican governor and they have uh, a majority democrat uh, house and senate there in, in the state and they have not passed a budget in three years which is now it's being reported that even lottery payouts will not they will not even be able to pay out lottery winnings the lottery system is going to shut down in illinois and not only that i mean that's obviously the least but that just shows you the extent of this financial meltdown people are calling it as a a type of banana republic they're not able to pay uh, they have all these uh, liabilities that are upcoming that they're not able to pay uh, billions in unpaid bills and pension obligations and this is uh the warning cries about this are, are finally starting to come out. Uh, Republican Governor Bruce Rahner has been warning that the state is entering Banana Republic territory as billions in unpaid obligations from pensions uh, to other obligations are, are due by the end of this month. And, again, they have not passed a full budget in almost three years. And it's gotten to the point where they're not even going to be able to continue having a state lottery system because of the lack of money that... Uh, and the lack of of uh, being able to to come together to pass a budget—it's crazy. Have we ever seen a state go into such a, you know? What will it look like if one of the states in America basically turns into a Venezuela-type situation? I guess it's uh, a bad analogy there, but still,
1: this is pretty severe. It's not not really a bad analogy. There's economic situations. There's other things, and and that segues me. I've Right. If I can, if I can mention
2: $130 billion in
1: unfunded go pension on. obligations alone. Right. Right. That's just pensions. Well, one of the things, and folks, again, we, we've been talking about, and, and we use this, I use this term a lot, our new mandate, the Hagman Report, um, for, since we, since our inception, we've been reporting on, on numerous things. Have you noticed the uptick? Have you noticed the change in how we are doing things? We brought John Robertson into the fold. He has just done a great job in uh, expanding our, our reach and expanding our uh, litany of guests. And I think you can see that we are on top of things. But the other part of this, and this is something that that we've been doing, uh, the Northeast Intelligence Network started after 9/11, and focusing on Islamic terrorism, we still do that. But we are also infiltrating and investigating other groups that are seditious in nature, including. And this is something that you just kind of alluded to. And let me let me introduce this group to the listeners. It's going down. Okay, it's going down. Dot org is their tagline is choosing sides getting organized. Now um I, I don't really necessarily suggest you go there. Um it's going down dot org. But this is an organization that is that is in my personal based on my review, my investigation, and others involved in this, on the backside of this covertly, they are attempting to spread anarchy across the United States. The way they describe themselves, it's going down as a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Their mission, as quoting according to them, is to provide a resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Now, we are looking at the um, infrastructure of this organization, and I'm not going to get too too far into that, except to say. It's connected to the usual suspects. What I find extremely disconcerting is they've got a library there at this location where, uh, such things, publications, anarchy works. Uh, it's a book that takes examples from around the world, picking through history, showing people have in different ways and different times demonstrated mutual aid, self-organization, autonomy, and so on. Um, how they, how to coalesce as anarchists and so in support of anarchy when anarchists have been or what anarchists have been saying for years and what liberals need to start hearing what this group is doing along with some other groups at its periphery is they're taking the democratic progressive left and they are they are creating this this anarchist alt left if you want to call it yeah, it. yeah they're refining... I shouldn't say creating because that's already been done they're refining the anarchist tactics they're taking the weather the weather underground, the SDS uh, tactics of the 60s, uh, even to some extent the FALN uh, and, and some of the black um, groups of the 1960s, and they're teaching others how to do, uh, how to how to uh, uh, apply that to, the, to today. This is this, when you look at this and when you get involved in this, and then you see how this is, how this group is infiltrating in, in, in the tentacles of this group, as well as the other various groups, Antifa and all of these other anarchist groups, how they're coalescing and forming. You can see the sides. You can see this side of the civil war, that side of the civil war forming the ideological war. And these people, it's my belief based on the research that we've been getting. They, they, they want. I mean, they're playing for keeps. And when when they say it's going down, and that of course is the name of the website, it's going down dot, dot org. They are talking about although although they will deny this, you know, for legal reasons, they will deny this. Uh, but but they're talking about the uh, definite violence, and uh, it's uh, folks. We are we are at site and and Stephanie uh, uh, Stephanie McWilliams i think made a good point about uh where we're at and, and so did stephanie hamill in terms of the civility but but the first stephanie we had on uh the lack of civility that yeah, we see playing out whatever happened to the ideal joe i mean you know obviously you wouldn't remember this but when when i was young uh it was cool to to walk around with uh with miles a little red book if you if you were in if, if if you were in college, you know, even uh, high school, you, everyone had Miles, a read red book. Okay, I don't know why, but
2: Not to interrupt you. But I uh, I found myself last night watching TV for a few hours. There's an interesting show on the History Channel, um, America's the history of America's war on drugs. I think it's called, and they got in uh, to some. I mean, it was all it was history of the drug war, but it was history of the government's role in the American drug war. Yep, with from the 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 CIA's MK Ultra LSD program. To G. Gordon Liddy's pursuit of, and there some, I learned so much stuff watching that last night, uh, to, to Laos, you know, just, the uh, west of Vietnam, and how, you know, some, um, CIA operations there allowed for drug lords to rise and the influx of heroin. I know what you're saying. They, they talked about how about the drugs. LSD created the counterculture and, right. and how, it, you know, the resistance and, and, you know, there was some valid points this counterculture was standing up for against the war in Vietnam and, and different things. But it's interesting when I, when I was watching that about the counterculture, and Paul McGuire talks about that but a lot. The
1: very people who were against the counter, or the very people who were involved in counterculture, their parents were involved in the military industrial complex.
2: Yeah. Jim Morrison, his father. But the same people who were, you know, um, young and, and organizing and putting together that counterculture are the people who are in power now. Well, to
1: some extent. To sure. a great
2: extent, I would yeah. say. yeah. But or, that doesn't all transfer or, to, to, you know. Yeah. Um, or at least had this alt left we're talking about, but I believe that's a lot of where that stems from.
1: And, and and you're right. And I think it's important. This is why we bring people like Paul McGuire on onto our program to talk about the Timothy Learys, that generation. And, and John does a great job. John Robertson does a great job talking about the, the Hollywood angle, Laurel Canyon, Laurel Canyon. For my goodness, I just I, I can't wait to John until John writes his book. Uh, but to understand where we're at today, you've got to understand Laurel Canyon. Um Nothing, I, I truly believe that nothing happens. I shouldn't say nothing. There are some things. But for the most part, there, this has been all planned out. All this has been planned out. Um And you go back to Laurel Canyon. Go back to Albert Pike? Well, of course. Yeah. The the three world, the letter the three back world wars. To the Nixon administration. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but but you're right and isn't it interesting even that okay so even if that albert Pike whole thing was a fictitious if it was a fake it would still doesn't matter i don't it, think but it would still have to it, it it could only have been a fake i think um uh up and or it would be real after or right before world war one or right after world war one i'm not sure but but just the fact that the timing of that um Even if it was proven to be, oh, that's a hoax. It's a fake. Th- there's enough that was published or you know subsequent to its publication that would certainly lend itself to some knowledge, foreknowledge of the planning that has gone into mm-hmm. all of this. So it's very important. But yes, but understand Laurel Canyon, the importance of that in the counterculture. Understand the the, the fact too today that we're seeing. Just as we saw in Vietnam with the drugs, with with the uh, drugs in Vietnam, we're seeing the same thing in Af- Afghanistan today. We're seeing the same uh, poppy, uh, and, and and all of this together, folks. The the um, uh, but
2: the war on drugs is is fake. Well, yeah, I mean it, the, the whole thing about the war on drugs is how word. the government was the ones. They were yeah. either bringing it in personally or allowing it to come in for other, uh, to, to keep other operational, uh, you know, black, uh, operations going. They had to, to allow certain things like that, but it is directly tied to, uh, the government always from, from the heroin coming in, uh, you know, it started with the soldiers, but they allowed it to happen. They allowed it to, they allowed yes. the warlords to, to rise. In fact, not only because that. Because it served a purpose for them, um, operationally. When they were trying to carry out these other missions they were fighting communists with drug kingpins and allowing the the drug dealers and the drug kingpins to ship their the heroin back east and or back west to America in order uh to team up with with the Americans to fight communism which needed to be Why? which was really' it's, that's a convoluted right it was it was but, but, but still
1: but i was told by and, and I, I guarantee i was told by an agent of the government involved in the back in the Arkansas, maine Arkansas days, that the drug wars with the cocaine and and the, the with the CIA importing cocaine into the United States. Now listen to this, and I, I know people know everything there is to know, you know, you, about the drug wars and about the CIA's importation of, of drugs, uh, cocaine into the United States and crack and such. But did you know this? Did you know that the CIA? Um, in, uh, what they did was they they sent mark they actually marked and, and I'm not exactly hundred percent sure how they did this but the components of the cocaine that was being brought into the United States had DNA markers for lack of a better word DNA markers they could tell the government could tell by a, a an, an analysis of the cocaine brought in whether in whether it was uh, funded created by the funds of the deep state. And, and part of the CIA op, uh, drug-running operation. Do you follow me? Did that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, so there were markers put in this, this substance. And, again, I, I, I call them DNA markers. That wasn't the word that was used or phrase that was used. So they could identify. And, for example, if cocaine came into the United States that didn't have these markers, the our government would go after the competition in order to get their their drugs in uh, in, 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 wipe out the competition, the drug competition. And it's still happening today. That was back in the Arkansas days, but it's still happening today with poppies coming in, in, in heroin, and as you, as you mentioned, all the drugs coming across. And yet, we have this f- f- false, this uh, disingenuous war on drugs. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. But yes, but it's important to understand the, the Lural Canadian, uh, connection in the backdrop to all of this. And by the way, I want to say one thing about Seth Rich, about this murder, and about certain, I think this is so important, and about certain video people out there. There are people on YouTube that are talking about this. There's so many people on YouTube that are, there's infighting, there's all sorts of just weird things going on on YouTube. Don't trust anybody. All right, double check, triple check, quadruple check. If it if it doesn't make sense, um, even some of the guests we've had on in the past, you might want to you know take a look. It, it's there are so many things wrong with some of the things that we're seeing. It's obvious to us that there are plants out there, uh, people that that are attempting to take down, to discredit, delegitimize the alternative media or the new media, the independent media, that's us. And some of those ain't too independent. When you start looking at where they're broadcasting from, how they're broadcasting, who's funding them? Is it really a combination of, of uh you know, disparate people? Mm. Once you take a look at this, questions are raised. So I guess what I'm saying to you folks is, you just use an abundance of caution about who to trust. We—I'll we, certainly tell you this on, on our end—and um, we know some of the people that we've had on, and some of the people that we've seen that are making some really big waves in the YouTube community. Look, we know who they
2: are, and they're
1: not who they say they are. Just saying. Go ahead, Joe.
2: No, you're absolutely right. Um, what do we got? We got about nine minutes left in this in this segment we got a lot of places we can go. I I pulled up Albert Pike's The Letter of the the Third World War. Um, I I imagine most of our audience is familiar with this, but uh, anyway, I'll just go over this real quick because it's been a few months since I've read it, but each time I read it, it seems to lead more into saying these people, whoever wrote this knew what they were talking about, the foreknowledge, because I believe the people who wrote this are, you know, as they admit themselves are Luciferians And we know that in prophecy and scripture uh God wrote the beginning and, and wrote the end And we are here living it out Playing it out So I believe that Satan has a general idea Of what's going to happen Obviously doesn't have it all together That goes without saying So this Third world war uh And when, we, when I read this This obviously isn't stating that this is going to be the outcome But it does speak to uh, today in the first world war and the second world war, Second World war is interesting. they talk about the the differences between the 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 political Zionists and the fascists the Nazis and uh, and the political Zionists talking about Israel and then it moves to the third world war. It said it will be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agent tour of the Illuminati and the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be concluded in such a way that Islam and political Zionism mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, other nations, once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, and economical, and spiritual exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilist and the atheist. We shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm. In all its horror, will show clearly to the nations the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and the most bloody turmoil. Then everywhere, the citizens obligated to defend themselves against... The world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude, disillusioned with Christianity, whose spirits will form that moment, be without compass or direction, anxious for an ideal but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of Lucifer. Okay,
1: well, hold on a second. Disillusioned with Christianity. But I get I get your sighting from the letter. I guess what, what I'm saying is, the objective here is the one
2: world religion, ultimately. Right, correct. Right. Without, without going into, you know, all the- Well, I think these... it's interesting because when we look at the, the layout of today, you have the, well, everything that's going on with Islam, from the terrorist yes. attacks yes. to the immigration, that's covered in here. Um we see this it's rise of the, there. the Antifa and the, and yep. the, the revolutionaries, the atheists. That's in here. That's why I say when each time I seem to read this, you know, every so many months or whatever, it seems to become more true. Not that it's gonna have this ending or result. Well but we have to understand right. that the same people who wrote this, uh, who talked about, you know, Nazism and Zionism in the eighteen hundreds are the same people. This is the Illuminati. These are the same people who created these same ideologies. Yes. So of yes. course they're gonna have some insight if they have a, a, a blueprint of how history and the future is gonna play out. Uh, they're going to have a blueprint and an idea of what's going to happen. So I, that that goes to what you said earlier. And these, um, whether this is real or not, there is some truth to it, and well, that's why it's w- important.
1: W- when I mentioned about about real, whether it's a hoax, a fake, or a forgery, we know we we can put a time, um, and I'm not exactly sure what time, but we could put a, a time marker on that, and at least the majority of that would be uh, legitimate. Mm-hmm. And you can't argue the authenticity. Of the majority of that, or at least the the last half of that, and it's interesting because what we're seeing today, and as you pointed this out, the the war, and isn't isn't this something? How we, we for example, Jimmy Carter, and I mentioned this yesterday, Jimmy Carter, with um, uh, with uh, uh, Zygmunt Brzezinski, who just passed away, who just died, and how Brzezinski created the Mujahideen for the sole purpose of getting it back at Russia. Don't forget. Brzezinski's Polish heritage never had forgotten what uh, the Russians did to Poland. And of course, that started the, that really kind of was the beginning point of the modern day Al Qaeda slash ISIS. Brzezinski really was the architect for that, for, for that Islamic group. And as we see the progression of ISIS, as we see the progression of Islamic terrorists, we are, and isn't it interesting, um the, the terror attack yesterday, or in quotation marks, terror attack, or the day before at the mosque, which we have a lot of questions on, uh, to, 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 to begin this, this hot war, not just in, in the minds of people, or in the minds of the media, not just by the Muslims, because IQL releases says 100% of the terrorist attacks today are Islamic. That's according to IQ al Razuli. And when you look at it, yeah, that, that's true. Now, if they can break the mold and say, well, see, now that, that's not 100% true, that's not true, you're going to have the Muslims fighting against the Christians. But then you have people, and this is why this James R. White is so dangerous, having him come in and say, we can work out our differences. Given the fact that, for example, now I'm not going to say that he said this, but I'm just going to say people who say this, we worship the same God. Our differences yep. are not that, that that large. When in fact, uh, in, in my my mentor, now this I can attribute to, to uh, this James White saying that uh, uh, you know that this uh, uh, the uh, jihadist that he had on there, uh, what was his name, Yasser Qadi, uh, preaching the, the guy who, who the jihadist preaching about the filthiness of Jews and Christians. But the ultimate end result of this is going to be this this formulation of a single religion, outlawing uh, any type of disparaging remarks against Islam
2: and Christianity. Mm-hmm. And we have that with the World Council of Churches. There you the, go. With the Vatican's That's agenda, it. and we see the political side picking this up and and running with the ball, trying to make this happen with the the speech laws we see in Europe yep. and in Canada. It, it's just getting crazy. Thank thank God for the First Amendment here in this country.
1: Amen for uh, that.
2: Because, you know, it, and, and yesterday, I didn't get into the, I mean, I, I sat here watching every and, and, and listen. It's one thing if you want to, as Brandon said, have fellowship w- with the Muslim. It's one thing to go to a mosque, sit and observe. It's one thing for an imam to come to a church and sit and observe. But to try to convolate the issue by saying, we worship the same God and they're not, uh, the religions aren't so different after all. Y- that's just crazy. You can't do that. It's scripturally wrong. It's spiritually wrong. It's not wrong to to have a, a friend who is another religion, if you understand those differences. But to try to equate that you both believe in the same God is a fallacy, an intellectual and, fallacy, and, and it I'll should s- never be and I'll in say church this, or in a Muslim mosque. The Muslims are laughing at the Christians who
1: attempt to do this. They're laughing at you, James R. White. They're laughing at you. You understand that? They're laughing at you, you silly Christian. And I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. Ask IQL Razuli, ask Brennan House, uh, his, his experts. Yep. Uh, ask Randall Terry. We've got the, we've, we have got the videos. Go to our YouTube channel. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel and, and, and watch Randall Terry, watch IQL Razuli. Listen, share those videos, understand what we are dealing with and understand the enormity of the, of the problem and the picture. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Excuse me,
2: real quick, one last minute left in this segment. I don't know how many people saw this story, With everything that's been going on in the last few days it's kind of been underreported. Liberals blamed white supremacy for Muslim teen murdered by a legal immigrant from El Salvador. Um, a bunch of people on Twitter were blaming white suprem- supremacy and Donald Trump for the murder of a Muslim teen. And the information came out after all the, the blame went around that it was... The murderer is an illegal immigrant from El Salvador. Um, this article is on the Daily Caller. I'll post this, the Hagman report later. Joe,
1: we got we got to talk to Donald Trump. Don't go easy on the on the immigration
2: dreamers, right? Yeah, there's a lot going on with that. Uh, there was some state funding. I think Arizona or uh, one of the states voted to. Pull the free tuition from from Dreamers in one state but yeah there's a lot That uh, we have not had time to get Into but hopefully we will take The rest of the week and and do just that we'll be right Back with Stan after these short messages don't go anywhere This is done for this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Each and every Tuesday in hour number three, Standeo from Standeo.com, the real Indiana Jones, is our guest, and we talk. A, we cover a whole lot of ground every time stands on. Um, folks, go to Standeo.com, pull up the show images page. It's to the right hand side of the screen, and there you can follow along with the images Stan has compiled. Uh, for the subjects that we're going to talk about when he comes on and he's with us now.
9: Stan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. We're sitting down here in air conditioned comfort. Thank goodness. I'll tell you, at a hundred degrees over here, it's miserable.
2: Yeah. It's a, I, I I was reading today that, um, the, you know, there's a a heat wave from the West and especially in the Southwest where it's so hot in Phoenix, I can't even, they had to shut all the flights down because it's too hot to even fly. Hundred and twenty three degrees or something like
9: that. I know, that's just uh, that's like living over in the Saudi desert somewhere in a in a sea chain or something. They get that hot, but wow. And you I mean, you know, the water table underneath uh, Phoenix is being drained and there is real concern growing about how much uh weight the the water storage area, you know, natural storage in the stone there can support, you know, like the city on top of it and a a good shake might just Sink Phoenix into its
2: used-up water table. Wow! I haven't heard that before. Yeah, yeah.
1: That, that's a that, that's a picture, mental image that's quite <laughs> Wow. Okay.
9: Well, I'll tell you what. I even the Hopi are going to move out of uh, Phoenix, or out of Arizona, and out of the White Mountains, and out of the uh, Mesa as things get worse and the uh, water level reaches up. Uh, between the mesas there in Arizona so they have to go by canoe between them so they said they're coming up here eventually up into the four, four corners you know in the Colorado region so even mm-hmm. they're okay. going to get out it's just not the same reason for the heat or anything but it's Arizona's a no-go zone
2: <sighs> yeah I, I saw that when I saw that one hundred and twenty-seven degrees I was like wow Yeah, wouldn't
1: want to be there but there's a dry heat though right it makes it okay <laughs> yeah, I guess so. No. <laughs> it's
9: that's, that's what it a little bit moist at times. It's it, summertime for us during a El Nino year because it, the the moisture can add a lot of misery to your
1: actual heat. It, sure, But your feel heat would be a lot worse. Probably holding the heat in from the water vapor in the air. Well, you know, I remember when I was a when I was a kid, my mom used to say that's that's a that's that's a because we had no air conditioner. Growing up, and you know, you had a tough down. It's a dry heat. It's okay. It's dry heat. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So, what's on your radar scope today? Oh, a few things. Um, you've looked at the
9: the uh, show images page. I take it today. See what's on yeah. there. Oh yeah. Where you want oh, to yeah, start? There's a number of interesting
2: things today. Let's start with the. Uh, yeah, let's, let's spin the, the stand the wheel. We're gonna spin the stand wheel. Let's start with the, uh, the ship, the, Fis- the Fitzgerald. That's um, an incredible yeah. story. You still don't understand how that happened, uh, and we're still not – I mean, all the answers aren't, have not been given. They're, they've said that uh, since yesterday we, – we mentioned it a little bit on the show yesterday. Apparently today they're saying that the sailors who died could have, uh, have died because they had to close certain hatches on the ship after, it, after the wreck impacted the ship in order to keep the ship from sinking, which is horrific if that's what really happened. Yeah. also reports that... Uh, I, I saw a report that everybody was asleep, which doesn't make much sense to me. I don't... Well... Unless yeah, it was just yeah, on the other you know, vessel.
9: It was in the early morning hours between 2 and 4 or something when they uh, collided. Yeah. Well, click on that uh, bed, first huh? image there of the U.S. Uh, Fitzgerald, SS Fitzgerald, that's image number 49. Click on that, All right. and you'll see... Um, uh, the graphic that I made from, you know, the images of the Fitzgerald and the ACX crystal, which was the merchant ship that hit them. Those Sea tainer ships are massive. You know, they stack all that weight up on top of that. Um, when they hit the Fitzgerald, and I, I, you know, I'm still looking for an explanation of how the Fitzgerald wasn't aware of that. Uh, you know, the duty watch must have seen it. They could have moved the engines forward. Uh, you the know, like move the ship forward uh, fast enough I think to avoid the collision but um, maybe if nobody saw it I, I just find that hard to believe but
2: There, I agree with what you said about um, as far as the Fitzgerald. I don't understand how how it allowed itself to get hit. I've heard many. I've heard a few uh, very good breakdowns of this about how the Fitzgerald and other U.S. ships like this have some of the most sophisticated and advanced technology from sonar. Uh, basically, the the point was that I don't people don't even understand how they got within a mile th- of this ship with the technology that they have. A and then. Not only that, but as you stated, that there should have been a, somebody on lookout. There have, there's always on a ship somebody who's standing lookout. Well, that, yeah,
5: there
2: it's is. It's not so that much a question think. of the other vessel. It's Pardon? a question of the Fitzgerald. It's not so much a question of, uh, the other vessel. It's a question of how the Fitzgerald didn't, how this got so screwed up so fast, how this wasn't prevented or at least minimized. Um, if you were, Stan, if you're the skipper, the, the, the captain of that ship,
1: how would you explain that? I mean, the,
9: well, there's the, the, uh, I, I, got no, to be some paper, paperwork. I, it depends on what happened because he was one of the injured, which meant he was probably in his quarters sleeping, you know, two to three a.m. in the morning, something like that. If you look at the picture, image fifty takes you over the New York Times picture. If you look at that picture, you'll notice something is missing. You'll see the number three right there in the middle of the impact, above yep. waterline. Right now, that that area of impact doesn't have any scrape marks or any stretch to one direction or the other that tells you that mm. the ship was probably dead in the water when it got hit now that that then says okay if the duty officer up there saw this uh, this tanker turning toward them then he should have waked the, he got that to the captain wake to bump getting up on the deck to see what to do And, of course, the captain probably would have immediately said, first of all, let's get moving or we're sitting target here, you know, and try to contact the other ship and tell them to change course. But that doesn't appear to have happened. Was the duty uh, officer, you know, uh, uh, the watch, was he sleeping? Was he doing something he shouldn't have done? I don't know. But it definitely was just a sitting duck there.
1: And the the sitting duck that Descriptive term is, is frightening for numerous reasons, especially in today's environment. Um, man, man, oh man! You yeah. uh, know, could could okay? Could it have been? Could, let Let's step out of the box for a minute. Is it possible that? Cloaking devices. I, I, am I'm, I'm just reaching for anything. Yeah, cloaking devices to, uh, to Chinese. electronic jamming? Yeah, to jamming. From, uh, that's, I, I guess kind of that's what I was going for. It's dark. Okay. I, 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 well, I mean, I get the fact that they're light, but maybe some sort of electronic jamming device. Technologically.
9: Well, Holly, Holly just brought up a point that it was an hour after the impact. Did anybody call for help?
2: Yep. Okay. And there's a discrepancy of times between the yeah. Japanese authorities and the Coast Guard.
9: Yeah, there's just, you know, I I look at this and I look at the situation that uh, we have internally here, uh, you know, pressing a civil war, just, you know, every tick of the clock, it seems like it's a lot closer. And I remember yeah. Larry Taylor's dream, you know, about the missiles of October. Yes. Um, Holly's still got that on our website. If you look at image 58, you can read about it. And, um, it, uh. It was a dream vision he had, and um, these, uh, in the dream, he said I saw a long line of missile silos. I had the knowledge in the dream that these missiles no one ever thought would be fired. I could not tell who the missiles belonged to. As the pri- dream progressed, I saw the missiles begin to fire and lift off out of their silos. I noted that all the missiles were fired, but only a certain number, not all of the missiles were fired, but only a certain number were fired. I saw the missiles fired, that were, were fired go up into the sky and reach a peak, then start to arch and fall back towards Earth, toward its target. I did not see who or what the target was, but as the missiles began to fall towards their targets, I heard in my dream what sounded like a loud, audible voice. These are the missiles of October. And then he woke up. Now, the reason I put that there underneath the, the uh, Fitzgerald impact picture there is with all the other things going on between us and Russia over in Syria and the uh, proposed, um, you know, uh, uh, Middle East uh, support of us like from Saudi Arabia and, and a number of their allies against ISIS. We are certainly uh, about to see a nuclear exchange somewhere. Uh, I don't know whether it be from North Korea, whether it be you know uh, Russia and China because they do it together. They have a pact against us. Um, but I just thought, well, missiles. We're coming to October, and then if you remember last week where I talked about the. Uh, September 23rd, you know, formation of the uh, the Virgo right. formation, you know, about that might be the start of the tribulation period. If that's the end of September, there, 23rd of September, in that region, then it's no stretch of the imagination if the world started to fall apart for whatever reason around that time, that October would be, you know, a logical time for the missiles to be launched from the Russians, the Chinese, at us. I really think America's the Babylon, or one of the Babylons in Revelation, and that it's going to be destroyed by fire rapidly. Even the Hopi Prophecies tell us that. So,
1: anyway, you, even, that's, even the most, you know, Stan, even the most hardened skeptic, even, even the most, even the person that would have absolutely no belief in God, it's my belief to that person. That person. Would be intellectually dishonest to say, you know what? Nah, uh, I don't think there's going to be any uh, any nuclear kind of exchange or any kind of uh, war hardship coming, uh, even if they had no belief in in in, in God. I just, I, I, it's intellectually dishonest. I believe, it um, although understanding but Bible prophecy certainly makes it a lot easier to understand current events, and it's it's absolutely important for that. But I'm just saying, just. Yeah, in, I on. did
9: a show with uh, Larry and Stewart here, uh, I think it was yesterday. And yeah, and uh, during the show, Larry was mentioning that he uh, had a vision when he was awake. Um, and he thought it was over the attempted division of Jerusalem and Israel. Uh, and he wrote me today, he said, uh, it was a vision, I was awake. Uh, I was impressed that if USA had a hand in the division of Jerusalem, that, well, I then heard a sound like the snap of a dry twig, as. Snap broken in two of America, uh, that the result would be the breaking snap in two of America. Sorry. Uh, I think I repeated that twice anyway, but anywhere, anyway, you get the, the uh, gist of it. Now, I put that up underneath the uh, link to another set of uh, images about the coming uh, solar eclipse at the uh, 21st of August this year. Now, it, oh, there right. there is some data which says, okay, um, the alignments of the uh, phases of the moon uh, and, uh, and eclipses of the moon and the sun, that these things put uh, different combinations of gravitational stresses on the Earth's surface, and where there are potentials for earthquakes to release, they only need a little bit of a push from you know a swell, an earth uh, or a sea tide. You know, as the moon passes over, called a lunar tide, um, it, then they will release.
2: Yellowstone? Sure. All right, go back over to the main show images page, image
0: 47. All right.
9: Now, we're looking at image 47, and you only see a little group of orange earthquakes, you know, two and a half, three, the smaller ones there. And that's all that occurred in the Yellowstone area in the last nine days. Now, over to the right you'll see the words Sour Creek Resurgent Dome. And right underneath that, there's a little mountain, green mountain symbol, and that's where the magma uh, is pushing. Now, there's a double magma chamber where there is a swell occurring, uh, you know, a lifting of the dome, a few millimeters per year, uh, I think maybe an inch or so, as I recall. And that is on the end of a path that goes through the words Yellowstone National Park on that thing down toward the thing where it says Google, you know, 2017 Google, Um, if you look along that path, you'll see that it was the first and second eruptions of the Yellowstone Caldera occurred along that diagonal line. Uh, There's a, let's see, how do I explain that? Well, anyway, uh, you can see that there's a stretch mark or a a definition of a channel going up toward to where the... uh, the dome is at the moment, and it's along that channel, as the mantle of the Earth moved over the hot spots in the lithosphere, it allowed this bubble of hot magma to erupt twice, and is now building for what may be a smaller third time. Okay, so, do the little earthquake swarm over in the upper left-hand corner signify there's a problem with 60 miles away to that resurgent dome over in the right side there? I don't think so. And I, I thought, well, okay, I'll, uh, look at what happened before, uh, this nine days of, you know, earthquakes here. So if you look at image 46, this shows you the last 17 and a half year, well, 17 years even, of earthquakes in the, uh, Yellowstone, uh, uh, park area. And you'll see there are a lot of earthquakes in there. But if you look up where those others were up in the upper left hand corner, there's only the odd one, not swarms, very small amount up there. Okay, now if you go back to the show image page, image 48 and pull it up, you will see that cluster of earthquakes that occurred in the last nine days is now included in this database and you can see that there was something like this that happened down in the past uh, 17 years, probably uh, 30 miles south of there. You will see a little cluster down underneath that. But other than that, you don't see swarms like this. Now, what what would have to happen, I think, for um, Yellowstone to erupt again, it would be for the, and not erupt where we think it's going to, but over where those earth, swarm earthquakes occurred to, uh, in the last nine days, is that the... The magma chamber would have to change location. It would have to turn about 90 degrees or so and go somewhere else. And it would have had to have done that already if it was going to do any uh, erupting, you know, now. Now, it could have done that, but all the reports I've read said that the magma chambers are underneath Sour Creek uh, Dome, and that's where it stays. Uh, you can see a, a close up of a cross section of that at image 43. And in image 44, you see that uh, even the USGS locates that area as a a uh, seismic risk area that's uh, pretty high in a small little area there in Yellowstone Park. But click on image 45. Now image 45 shows you the path of the caldera's magma as it moved from, you know, 2.1 billion years ago up to now. Now what is interesting is that the first caldera 2, 2.1 billion years ago is that light purple and The, 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 all the light purple area was where the eruption was, a huge eruption. But then the second one was in a small area, a little darker purple, called 1.3 million year old second caldera. Now, the path of them, though, is moved up to the upper right, you know, uh, diagonal uh, to uh, Sour Creek Resurgent
2: Dome. Stan, um, let's stop here. We're up against the break, and we'll pick up right here with this image when we come back, because this is very interesting stuff. Especially when you're talking about the uh tying it in with the eclipse and how uh this can lead to to increased earthquake activities. I think it's really relevant and important. And uh this is great, all these images of, of the earthquakes in Yellowstone. I saw a report on Drudge today about this, about the number of earthquakes that were happening in Yellowstone is is, is up there. Folks we'll be right back with Standale after this, don't go anywhere.
5: Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com,
1: masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you could possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, its it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric It's insane. I mean, wow, look.
8: We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% of our must-have American Heritage Army kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons 1. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Army's kit at www.changelisthewoods.com. Your life may depend on it.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. Stan Deo is our guest. He's our guest every Tuesday in the third hour. And we are talking about the volcanic and earthquake activity in Yellowstone. And just before the break, we were looking on the show images page at image 45. And, Stan, you were starting to explain that. I'll, uh, go ahead and pick up right where you left off.
9: Okay. Well, it's just that for in the last 17 years, there have only been two little groups of, um, our swarms of earthquakes, and they're not large earthquakes in the, um, in a very concentrated area within the Yellowstone Park area. Now, the one that's just occurred over the last nine days is still occurring with four to five hundred little quakes. Is worrying a lot of people because they're th- saying is this indicating that uh, Yellowstone's going to erupt now? Now, I'm you know I'm not a psychic or anything. So what I'm going to tell you is an educated guess. The since the the double magma chambers that they've discovered recently under the Sour Creek Resurgent Dome in, in, in image 45 there, because that is uh, allegedly at the moment from what they've told us there, and not 60 miles, you know, kind of uh, east, uh, northeast from there, up there, the border there, it, because of that, near Given Falls, because of that, I'm wondering if there is a new magma thing forming on the edge of that, um kind of maroon-purple where it says Third Caldera, 643,000 years old, Uh, you know, uh, an eruption or magma discharge can occur on the edge of these fields, as we've seen from the first two uh, eruptions. So, at Gibbon Falls there, which is close to where those cluster or swarm of earthquakes were and are for the last nine days, is there a magma pocket there that is becoming active and pushing up? Without any proof of that you know, from technical sources, whatever.
2: it now. Let's get into it. familiar with it yeah it, 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 but explain it
9: because okay. yeah And they found that if they shifted the position of the photon they, they entrapped in orbit, that the one on Earth on the top of the mountaintop shifted the same amount. They, they were connected and almost, well, instantaneously faster than the speed of light. So this is a very promising thing in that if you can quantum entangle photons, maybe you can quantum entangle uh, you know uh, atoms and, and uh, molecules, and that would allow us to communicate between star systems that are lots of light years away. It's almost like folding space. And there are you know, be a way. Sorry.
1: Uh, I, 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 I got to interrupt here because at lunch today, Eric... Uh, Joe and I were having this conversation it's embarrassing but we are talking about quantum entanglement and the spontaneous parametric down conversion process about split photons into type 2 f- um, of f- f- uh, photon pairs with mutually perpendicular polarization and we were having this argument about that today at lunch
5: <laughs>
1: wait a minute no we weren't Stan I'm sorry to interrupt you that was stupid I, I was just trying to make light of this because th- this is a, uh, <laughs> oh, I- I'm
9: sorry <laughs> Yeah. I was thinking, you were going to tell me you had something to spread on your bread. Okay,
1: now. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> and and peop- I'm going to get a lot of hate mail now because I interrupted your thought. Go ahead, sir.
9: Well, uh, basically, um, this this quantum entanglement, I think, is a clue. Uh, if the world holds together and you know the tribulation doesn't happen immediately and whatever and the world will go crazy, we may be able to develop um, a substitute for wormhole travel between the universes or between spots in our universe which um, you know the quantum entanglement may allow us to open up an access to whatever makes the quantum entanglement uh, occur. It's like a, a, an ether space made of particles so fine that we can't even guess at them at the moment. They're, they're much finer fluid inside, and the particles make up the fluid of space the dark matter and the dark energy. So I'm thinking that it may be a way uh, to, to not have to have a collapsing black hole to open up, you know, a wormhole between two points in the universe so that we can travel from A to B just very rapidly, you know, many times the speed of light, like in Star Trek, you know, when they go warp speed and stuff like that, but a little bit faster. So anyway, it's just encouraging that they're able to prove this by testing something in orbit to something on the Earth. And I've thought, well, okay, the good Lord will show us, I guess, but uh, it does tell us that uh, there is another, like, sub-level to existence way down uh, that we're not aware of yet, and just getting clues with stuff like this that tells us, oh, there's more to discover in this great existence. Anyway, for scientists, for physicists and astronomers, that's kind of a fun thing to kick around while you're having lunch, guys.
1: Yeah, and again, my apologies for being uh, trying to be funny. So, just to be clear, because I don't want to—certainly, I did not want to, to marginalize or affect what you were saying. The, the promise, or or the this this presents what again um, at the end of the day. This, tra- uh, this what you said. What's the conclusion here? The potential well, okay. conclusion.
9: It's saying that we've, we've now got a chink in the armor of general relativity. We can move toward a new relativistic uh, solution for the universe and, um, great new horizons and, and, and possibilities in science are mm. going to result from what we find if the world doesn't, you know, have World War three immediately. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I, and sometimes, you know, you, you got to wonder about CERN. Uh, the CERN, because it's producing particles that are pretty exotic, I wonder if they produce entangled, you know, quantum-entangled particles in a manner that opens up a gateway between our universe and a parallel one. Uh, all these things are little clues to something we don't understand yet, but are getting a little peek through the window. So I'm encouraged. Mm. Anyway, that's part of part two of... Proving the Earth is not flat is that argument there, and that's kind of what got me off onto quantum entanglements. Oh. But, um, M um, 39 is part three, and, uh, it, uh, it deals with the, let's see, the moon, I think, uh, and the shadows of the Earth on the moon, and the shadows of the moon on the Earth. And there are some uh, mathematical things he does to show you that it tells you the diameter of the Earth and the fact that it is round by studying just the shadows at various. Uh, juxtapositions of the moon and the earth and the sun thirty four earth or flat earth part four is easy experiments that uh, people can do themselves and it is a uh, uh, about a uh, what is No, the, does,
1: it, does it frustrate you though that we even have to have this discussion? I mean, the the, the uh, <laughs> how I, many I
9: emails have you gotten about this?
1: Oh, oh emails, letters, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, some letters that were, you know, I you could see where the pen almost went through the paper. Uh, oh, wow! But yeah, yeah, you know, very, very vicious uh, uh, dogma, very dogmatic about this. I just, I, I don't get it.
9: That test that somebody did, oh, yeah, one of the flat Earthers said, okay, if a ship is on the horizon and...
2: We live up on the up on the lake, and some days you can see Canada and the buildings over there, and some days you can't. It depends on a lot of things.
9: It's and, a water mirage, yeah.
2: I yeah. mean, it, it just depends on on you know on the weather. Even on on the nicest sunny days, you can't see it, and sometimes you can. It, it it's um. But yeah, the flat Earth thing, I can't. I I can wrap my head around some of the arguments, but it's it's uh it's tough. I I, I don't know. It's not something that it doesn't make sense to me. I guess I'll just put. I've looked through, you know, the, I've seen the stars and the teles and the planets through the oh. telescope. I've traveled. We've seen things and just everything, you know. But the the one thing that
1: we've traveled the ends of the earth. Of I
2: think flat Earth people make their their claims about is, is that NASA lies, and I'll agree with that. Yeah, NASA does that, lie, too. but that doesn't mean every and anything that has ever come out of NASA is a lie.
9: Okay, okay, suppose, okay, you know, NASA has airbrushed things and done stuff for national security reasons or whatever. But, get this, if the Earth really was flat and NASA was doctoring photos, don't you think the Russians or the Chinese would say, you're full of, you know, beans? Um, (laughs) Because we know that...
0: They're part of it, too.
9: You know, every major country and research organization, every even private university and, and school stuff that is... Discovered that the Earth is round, and if they discovered that it was flat, they couldn't all alter records and fake things, textbooks and images from space and reflected images off of, you know, reflectors on the moon. I mean, there's there's so so many ways that you can disprove this. You know, it just it astounds me. Anyway, that's that's
2: enough on flat Earth. I'm through. Stan, don't. Don't confuse the argument with facts. It's just, it's getting, it's getting cluttered in here. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I know. Go to image 41.
9: Now, I've I've had this on my website down the lower parts of the page for several, uh, probably two years now. And I talked about it on your show. And it's about the, the strategic importance of oil in Israel. What brought my attention to this today is that uh, the, the Texas, uh, Corporation Zion Oil has a 99,000 acre lease over in Israel, and it's at a place that if you look at this, uh, uh show this images page doesn't have numbers on it, that's how far back it is. Uh, I'm gonna see which
1: image I want you to look at here. That one I'm just w- well ripping done. through the images here, and image 27 is a image of my mother in law. Okay, I'm sorry, <laughs> which I'm looking for, uh, the image you're looking for.
9: Okay. Okay, go to, um, on that uh, uh, strategic importance of oil in Israel page, go down to the third row and fault path from Asher's Toad, to, uh, Africa, oil wells, click on that. And right. you will see, uh, this is looking toward the east across the, the Sea of Galilee, up in the upper left, a uh, little dark body of the sea. And the little red circle areas are the type of stone the Bible says it's a flinty rock that uh, they would find oil in the toe of Asher. And the little yellow outline there and the uh, uh, going around those red areas is the toe of Asher's uh, territory as, as decreed in the Bible. Now, These two areas I found are the only two areas in the whole Megiddo plain at the moment that I could find the geology that supports what the flinty rock that the Bible said the oil would come from. Now, it's supposed to be a real treasure trove of oil. The blue lines are following underground crevices like channels that would allow the huge oil supply in the Golan Heights to flow down Uh, down, down, down toward the sea level but in these underground like canyons Uh, but they're stone, right? They're porous stone for for oil and they end up uh, either in the light blue area coming down into the deeper into the foot of the toe of Asher there or the darker blue on the right coming to the the place that I think is where the, the major oil will be found. However, if you look at the upper right portion of this uh, photo, uh, you'll see a little dark circle, uh, you know, a black kind of circle above the, the end of the blue line on the right, and you go up again toward the top corner of the picture, and just across from a little mound of uh, Earth there, and underneath the north-pointing compassing is the region that Zion Oil has 90, 99,000 acres of oil uh, to drill, and uh if you are looking at the article or you click to that on the picture of the Israeli flag in the oil well, you'll see that they've reached about two thousand feet deep already. Uh, of course, they're promoting their shares to people, but I'm thinking that it is certainly possible that they too uh, have um, you know oil where they are linked to this deposit that I'm talking about. Uh, I don't know how it would get there unless it came in through the plenty stone region there that that I showed you in that uh, other image. And then, um, you know, kind of flowed back down toward the sea there. I mean, I haven't checked the sea level or the, the, the ground level between where I think they should have drilled and where they are drilling. But I do think, as I recall, that it flows underground downhill toward where Zion has that particular well now. So it could be that they're getting well there, but they'll get more uh, if they go up into the deep crevasses. I mean, there's offshore gas just right off of there, uh, you know, uh, where the toe of Asher is, and the the Lebanese coast, uh, you know, off that, they have gas as well. That's connected to a a large petroleum reserve somewhere. The gas uh, puts pressure on it, and I think the gas may be holding the the uh, on-land oil uh, fields back up onto the dirt, and, uh, you know, I think that we'll see it there in that uh, area there that I've shown in that uh, third row, third image, fault Path Mashers Toe. Uh, And that was simply because I got the the article about, you know, Zion oil reaching it. They believe that the oil is going to be found there uh, somewhere in that Megiddo plain, And if they do find oil a significant uh, and, you know, commercial uh, product, uh, then that would explain why the Arabs would suddenly be very angry and a lot of other people and want to attack Israel for its oil. And Saudi Arabia is in trouble financially at the moment. Um, Its oil reserves are much lower than they stated when they. This is linked together, and all of it adds uh, pieces to the beginning of the
2: tribulation period. Okay, you can uh, you can tell so, we're getting close. I know. But Stan, <coughs> excuse me. I like uh, uh, this topics that we got into tonight, looking towards the the near future, especially with the the eclipse stuff and the uh, Yellowstone, and then you added the stuff in September. Um, and I do believe that's an indicator and I don't know, in my personal belief I don't think that day is when the tribulation will start But the way things are looking around the globe It's definitely something we need to take notice of Because look how drastically things have just changed in the last year And just imagine if we make it to next year at this time How much worse things will look If we continue down the same direction
9: Yeah, well, you know uh, there's only I only saw one a short video of President Trump here in the last couple of weeks where he said, um, and you know, that the big he, he's looking to, to make the big deal in Israel, you know, the peace treaty. That's what he was referring to. He wants that to, to happen so there's peace in the Middle East in his time. He doesn't quite understand the implication, that, I don't think, but because he's pushing for that, if we, the United States, do engage in a having Israel make a contract to divide it even further. And give more territory to the Palestinians, then I'd say that within a day or two, we're going to see a dividing of the United States in a big way. Um, there's just a lot of proof that shows that every time we hurt Israel, we get hurt over here in a like manner, you know, with a hurricane or earthquake or whatever. So I think we should bear that in mind. I, if You know, the tribulation Absolutely. may not start on the 23rd. September, but it may start within a few weeks of that uh, the missiles of October may
2: be a signature of that. So we don't know. Yeah, we we're, don't, we're don't know. Kind of so, yeah, we, we don't. Stan, yeah. with just a, a minute or two left, real quick, any thoughts on uh, the two named storms in the Atlantic? They're saying that this is the first time that, uh, I know they're not huge storms or anything, but Stan they're saying that the, uh, how do they mean,
1: How do they name them? of <laughs>
2: <laughs> They're saying that these, this is the earliest two named storms in the Atlantic have ever popped up. Any uh, predictions on the, the hurricane forecast for this year?
9: You know, it uh, would only be a statistical one, and I don't think that would be accurate because the climate is changing so much, and not just the weather's climate, That and the planet is heating up. We know it's very hot compared to, you know, 50 years ago. That we're going to see these super cells of weather, super thunderstorms, and super hurricanes, and the hurricanes may eventually actually come on shore and last, you know, become a land of because of the intensity of the heat differential in the atmosphere and the water. Um, I, I don't think we're out of the water as far as reducing them, so I'm thinking we'll probably see more hurricane and tornado and lightning storm weather here and across into Africa as well. Interesting.
1: Wow. Well, Stan, you, you've done it. You've taken us right to the end of the program. I want to thank you so much for your time. Dare to Prepare. I can't think of a better or more pertinent uh topic and book to get, Dare to Prepare. Um Holy Dale, the author, of course. And Stan's Don't forget Cosmic book, Conspiracy. Us, yeah, and uh all of the books. Go to standale.com and have at it. Know that there's a lot of information, free information as well at uh, their websites but uh you know, just you know th- th- thanks for th- thank you Holly for writing your dare to prepare it we we refer to that quite frequently uh just for matters of reference and it's a great book well worth it thank you guys so yeah thank you all right brother till next no, week god bless man Bye-bye. all right all right folks wow
2: what a, what a great program right Oh, absolutely. Covered a lot of ground, a few new guests. Yeah. And, uh, and Stan, uh, very good. Please
1: subscribe to our YouTube channel. Would you do that for us? And, uh, follow us on our social networking, Twitter, Facebook. Um, and, and, I want to thank, I want to publicly thank John Robertson for all the hard work he's done, all the work he's put in. I want to thank Eric the Tech as well, uh, for all the hard work he's put in. And I want to thank each and every one of you for listening, for growing along with us, and we're just seeking the truth wherever we might find it. it doesn't matter who it points to, but it hey, the truth it will always be the truth. God bless. Stay safe. Buckle up. Saddle for battle. Lock and load. You know the drill. See you next time.